Hello and welcome to the Wingnet Travel Podcast with me, James Hammond. Personally, I have been to 50 countries. I've met so many people in my travels that I want to bring them on this podcast and get their story on record. I have plenty of tips and stories to share with you as well. Are you a backpacker or a traveller or gap year student or simply someone who loves to travel? Then this is the podcast for you. Throughout the weeks and months, you'll get many guests and solo episodes where I try to cover all range of subjects within travel. This is a casual and informative travel podcast to inspire you to travel in the future. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Thanks for listening and supporting this. And I'll see you soon. Cheers, James. Hello and welcome to episode 60, traveling with Greg Chapman in Turkey, Mexico, Arleman, Scotland and Italy. Greg is one half of the Greg and Felicity Adventures. We had a great chat. We covered a lot of different subjects actually and we talked a lot about travelling with their travel documentaries in each of those countries and the story and the angle that they took for each of those. And I was really interested in their Scotland documentary which is their latest documentary and they're kind of working with a great charity up there looking after dolphins and whales and stuff like that so it was fantastic chat about that so I do implore you to check those guys out you can buy their documentaries on Amazon kind of waiting for them to be confirmed in the calendar so I can actually buy their episode for Scotland there's two episodes for that they're divided into two and they do donate some money towards that charity that they actually um, do a documentary on so yeah check them out Um, it was great to have Greg on to talk about that also his other adventures Greg lived in Italy for seven years and he gives a real honest assessment about what they're up to and how they're trying to make a living out of documentaries and travel documentaries and I really enjoyed the chat we talked about magic I think that's a mutual interest we both have quite a strange one I used to be into that when I was back in the day so that's quite interesting and then yeah obviously the quickfire travel questions were great as well Yeah, he had some interesting confessions shall we say um, if you want to know more about that you can head to my Instagram where I put a clip up that I've not included in the, in the episode Um, but it's a funny clip about Italian and Turkish pizzas so check out my Instagram for that also thanks for giving me a chance last week to release an extra episode on the Friday which is an episode swap with Marie Walker from the Culture Cult travel show Marie is brilliant for suggesting that and I was more than obliged to do that because Marie and I are in the same boat we're trying to get more listeners and more interest in our podcasts and we're sort of at the same level so it's only the right thing to do and I hope you enjoyed First of all, the guest interview with Marie on my podcast, but also one of her episodes too, which is a travel story episode. So um, she'd done the same for me, and I picked one out, um, episode 13. I, I chucked her away, which is actually my longest episode I've done. So hopefully they weren't too bored listening to that. So anyway, thanks for all that. And life updates, uh, my birthday today. So I've just had a really interesting day of eating, pretty much. Um, I'm full as an egg. And yeah, we crack on. The Easter weekend is coming upon us next weekend. Um, we're away to Maine Island in part of the Gulf Islands near Vancouver. So I'll put some posts up about that. Looking forward to getting away on the island and have an extra long weekend. So stay safe, everyone. Be inspired. And I'll catch you soon. Cheers. Let's get into the episode. Hello and welcome to the Winging It Travel podcast. And today I'm joined by one half of the Greg and Felicity Adventures as Greg joins me for a chat this week. They're both currently based on the Isle of Wight and are known for their documentaries on whales, Draculas, travel and conservation. They currently have documentaries available on Amazon and have recently worked with the Cetacean Research and Rescue Unit in Scotland. We are going to talk about all that and travel and some of Greg's favourite travels personally as well. Greg, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. Thank you very much for having me on the show. No, it's a pleasure and I've got a lot of questions coming up and a lot of subjects that we're going to cover. So I said that you're based in Isle of Wight, so... 
are you wait, are you from there originally or what's the no no I, I grew up in um essex which for anyone oh, who's okay. listening from abroad essex is um it's a lovely 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 part of the world no it's just outside of london so it's sort of semi-built up it's just on the edge yeah. of where things start to go a bit greener <laughs> but for me it wasn't you know where i was happiest and right. so a few years ago i moved down to the isle of wight very lucky and it's a small island it's uh nine miles by 27 mm. miles i'm sorry if you do metric i don't at all <laughs> lovely little island and you know just for me it's just being surrounded by the sea and the beaches and everything else that's that's where i'm always at my happiest so and especially as you know yourself when you're going traveling sometimes the hardest part of any journey can always be that return home yes, you know that, that day before and so having a beautiful place to come back to that just makes it so much easier i think that's key i think you're absolutely right do you feel cut off in either way from like the mainland or no actually no. very rarely i mean it, we do have to get a ferry every time we want to yeah. get on and off the island we are at the closest point we're only three quarters of a mile away from the mainland so it's always there i actually live on the south of the island where i don't have to see it all the time oh, okay but it's, yeah. it's always there but no never feel cut off it i mean it's obviously been strange the last couple of years because mm. I'd never been more than three weeks without leaving the island before, and suddenly I was a whole year without setting foot on the mainland. I stayed on this tiny little island the whole time. But it's just such a beautiful place. You can't complain. That's the thing. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I, I struggled for, especially last year. I mean, the first year was a bit of a novelty because I work in an office and like, oh, yeah, I get to work at home. It's great. That soon wears off when you start to realise that you can't go anywhere. And well, you're just I mean, constantly for- like working and living in the same space. It's just a nightmare. Well, that's it. I mean, for me, I, I'm a when I'm not producing the travel videos, which you mentioned, I'm, I'm also a live entertainer, and suddenly mm. all of that was gone. I was trying to do, trying to do live video magic yeah. over Zoom and everything else. And it's just <laughs> it's not quite the same as getting. But I tell you what, did did make a big difference for me, and it's the one thing I've struggled to get back into is when I was doing the magic shows, or when I do a magic show now. I did one last week. I was down in Cornwall. I did yeah. a show at the Acorn Theatre in Penzance. So it was a five-hour drive down there, plus the ferry, five-hour drive down, stay the night before, do the show, five-hour drive back the next day. Whereas when when we were during the pandemic, if I had that exactly the same show, it would have been 15 minutes before the show, oh, better go and switch on the computer, time for some shows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I got a weird, not, I wouldn't say it's confession, but it's a, it's a new bit of content or information that I was into magic when I was younger because my half brother done a few shows and I remember us we used to watch David Blaine now I know David Blaine is also what you call like a illusionist right does big things yeah. but actually he started out with street magic and if you watch your street magic stuff I used to watch it on video I was like wow that's incredible so his to... street magic special is still one of the best magic specials ever I mean yeah I'll be honest, my magic goes, you know, slightly further back. I mean, I grew up with Paul Daniels rather than oh, David yeah. Blaine. Okay. You know, I, 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 that, that's where I started. And David Blaine, I mean, he, his first, but you're right, that first street magic special is because it really was the first time we'd seen street magic on television. Yeah. And somebody realized that, hang on a minute, we, we, you know, you, you film the Paul Daniels magic show. It's hugely expensive to film because you've got this set, you've got everything else. Yeah. Hold on a minute. If you're going to film a street magic show, we just need a couple of cameras and this guy on the street. There is yeah. nothing else. There's, there's no expense to it. 
But yeah, his skill is incredible. Same as, as someone like Dynamo, just that street magic, yes. that close-up street magic is just incredible. It's quite authentic, isn't it? It's it like, really is. It, it really is like, well, street level, you want to call it. Like, it is there. I mean, the only it's trouble raw. with it is that by the time we get to David Blaine, yeah. we are living in a world where, I mean, I don't want to use the word camera tricks because, you know, I'm, I'm not... Yeah. <laughs> but for me, um, I think with David Blaine, I, th- I think camera tricks is unfair. Yeah. Th- the term I would use for a lot of his stuff is editing tricks, which I, I, I mean, okay. I've just put out a magic series or we just filmed a magic series ourselves just to because I got used to doing a lot of magic on video over the pandemic. And mm. with that, I was so keen to avoid anything where I felt like the editing was cheating. And whereas with David Blaine, there's a lot of moments where you go, well, hang on, what he's filmed there and what he's filmed there. Yes, it, they're both authentic moments, but they just don't fit together. Ah, I've not even, I've not watched them back for years. I'm going to go back and see what they, uh, yeah, I'd have to maybe watch them again and just maybe have that in mind. And then my uh, half-brother, Michael, he would, you know, learn these tricks with the cards, you know, like some tricks. And he'd show me them when we're, like, on summer holiday when we go away, like I'll probably see him for a week, like a year. Like, apart from your time, and he would just show me these tricks. I used to be like just flabbergasted by it. So that's like probably my, one of my early interests. It just in anything apart from maybe football, but that was it. That was magic. I was like, wow. And that slow hand, I just I still loved it. I could probably watch a one-hour magic show right now easily. Like that slow hand card tricks and stuff. Love it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a fascinating subject. I mean, we're, we're here to talk about travel today. I mean, I could do three hours easily just discussing magic. Oh yeah. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> I get started down that route. We'll yeah. we, we just end up. We'll end up writing the history of magic, and we'll just end up lost in that. <laughs> the listeners are like, "What the hell is this?" I'm like, "Yeah, I'm sorry. We mentioned Isle of Wight, but that was it. No worries. Let's get to travel because we'll talk about magic all day. Let's start with what? What are you? Are you a document? Like a documentary person? Are you a researcher? Are you a conservationist? Like, are you a magician? What? What is? How would you define yourself in the travel world? Oh. In the travel world, yeah, in the travel world, we are documentary filmmakers. So basically, Mm. just to sort of briefly set it up, I started out when I was 18 and I left school and, you know, I'd done theatre all the way through school and I was going to be a a theatrical actor. I was going to be a Shakespearean actor. I was going to, you know, go and join the Royal Shakespeare Company and all of this. And then, then I found out about these things called scripts, which... I've never been a big fan of, you know, it's suddenly it was like, hang on, you actually want me to put the time in to learn all of these words and then say them in exactly the same way every night. And it's just mm-hmm. something that I just couldn't get my head around the idea of. And so I sort of started to drift into comedy. And then in 2007, I actually went over to Italy and I actually spent seven years touring shows in schools around Italy. But while I was over there, wow. I started off doing sort of these comedy shows but I was looking for something. This was Kindles were fairly new at that point in time. I didn't have great signal on the phone at that point in time, but I wanted to read. And I've always been a big fan of reading and I couldn't take a whole load of books in my uh, yeah. suitcase because they were just too heavy. And so I was stuck with what reading material I could get. And the director of the company there had this huge magical library. So I just kind of plowed my way through magic books. But also at the same time, I was... You know, I had the travel bug and I, mm. I have done since I think since I saw Michael Palin's documentaries oh, yeah. as, a, as, a, as a kid. And so I had these sort of two things going on. I was getting this wonderful opportunity to explore Italy and travel around. And then fast forward quite a few years, 2016, 
I started dating Felicity, who is now my wife. Yeah. And we went away. We did one tour in Italy together where I was touring one man shows and she was there with me. And we both just got really just so fascinated by the idea of traveling around. And then 2019, start of 2019, we went on our honeymoon in Mexico. And I already had all this camera equipment because we'd already filmed a, a short web series, a steampunk web series. And I'd always done a lot of filming work anyway. A lot yeah. of stuff I was doing in Italy involved filming work. And there'd been a couple of feature films. So I had all this camera equipment. And so, I mean, we went on our honeymoon and it was supposed to be just to film our honeymoon. But I took a, a case full of camera equipment with us <laughs> to the extent I I felt it necessary to write to the Mexican foreign office or foreign and just say yeah. embassy yeah, and just say, yeah. look, I'm bringing all this kit. Am I going to have any trouble bringing it in? Because it's not for a professional production. This is for my honeymoon. And they're like, <laughs> no, as long as, as long as it's personal stuff, as long as it's personal use, and we kind of got over there. And, and one of the things that worried me is because we have these professional cameras and it was the first mistake we made when we got to Mexico was we went to Teotihuacan, which is this incredible site. But I'd heard that there was an extra fee if you were going to take a professional video camera into a lot of the sites. And there are in Mexico, there's a lot of sites. You have to pay an extra fee if you're going to take a professional yeah. video camera in. So I thought, okay, well, not for this one. We'll, we'll, we might do that later on in the journey, but we're only filming our honeymoon. And so I took a, I just went in with a GoPro. That's all I took, just a little GoPro in. And uh, so if you actually see that documentary at some point, the opening scene in Tia Tia Khan, it's all shot on a GoPro and the sound is really bad. And later on, I found out the next place we went to, I was like, okay, let, let's try the professional camera. And I found out that the, the cost for a professional camera to go in and film your professional was at that time about three pounds. And I was like, <laughs> why, why did I? <laughs> why, why, why? Um, because we got to halfway through that journey and we basically with Mexico, we decided on our honeymoon that we were going to do half and half. Basically, I was big into history. Felicity's big into animals and particularly marine animals. And so mm. I wanted to tour all these Mayan sites and other Mesoamerican sites. And she wants all the animals. So it kind of split and we we're about halfway through. And I was just looking back at some of the footage that we had at that point in time. And I just said to her, well, hold on, we, we filmed this. I can edit this together. This could be a mm. documentary. This could be a travel documentary. And so that was our first travel documentary. It was never intended to be a travel documentary. And it's quite fun because by the time we'd edited it together and put the voiceover in and things, one of my close friends actually said to me at one point in time, wow, that's brilliant. Some of that, that, that gag you had at Tia Tia Khan that fits in with the voiceover, the fact that you, you, you know, you must've had that scripted out in advance to get <laughs> yeah. that gag shot right. And I was like, no, we just get the footage and we figure out the gags later. That's how. But yeah, so we did that. And, and that was it. We were completely hooked with this idea that hang on, we like to travel. We like to make the films. Can we make a career out of this? Can we make this mm. something that's going to be our, are living and is going to let us travel as much as possible. I've got some nerdy questions, but I, I think I might leave them towards the end. Um, you know, what equipment are you using? Stuff like that. So I might come back to that. But deep down, if, if I don't know, if you spoke to my girlfriend, Emma, she's like, oh, what, what would James want to be? And she'll probably say, I think he'd probably want to like, travel documentaries. That is realistically deep down what I want to do. I love podcasting, don't get me wrong. Get to meet like awesome people and record all these chats and, and release them to the public. But 
deep down the thought of like taking a camera around and you're kind of creating this like I would call it art like content art of just seeing a place but also making it fun and worth listening to that's kind of deep down where I'd like to go one time so I've got some admiration for you for doing that because I think yeah we see all the big ones on BBC we see all them and 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 they're great don't get me wrong but there's also a need for authentic travel and well, it's one of the things I say, because obviously I, I now have to spend a lot of my time sort of selling the idea of these documentaries to different people and explaining what we do. And one of the things that I do say to people is we are not Palin's travels. Yes. Because when Michael Palin makes a travel video, he has what he refers to as his passport two with him, because obviously the first one was around the world in 80 days. And his passport two is something like a, a 14 man film crew. You know, yeah. it's a... I think by the end it was 14 men and women, but starting off it was a 14-man film crew. Crazy. When you see the Top Gear boys who, um, I, I mean, I say Top Gear, the Grand Tour guys as they are now. Yeah. When you see them, yeah, okay, they're three guys out having a bit of fun and a bit of an adventure, but they've also got a big support crew behind them. Mm-hmm. Whereas the closest I've found to what we do is Ewan McGregor and Charlie Borman. Oh, what, the long way up? Long way, long way round, long way yeah. up. Great, I love Where them. some of the time they have that big film crew with them, but a lot of yes. the time it's the two of them, well, three of them actually, because they've got a cameraman, Claudio, as well. Yeah, Claudio. With so, yeah. handy cam, and it's this very intimate, very personal style, and that's what we've we've tried to stick with. And we've even looked at, well, what we could do. We could go bigger. We could have bigger shots. We could, could use more. And then we just think, well, no, because then we're going to lose what makes us special. We yes. can't compete with... Michael Palin. We can't compete with David Attenborough. We can't compete with Top Gear for mm. a scale of production. So we've just got to keep it as intimate as we can. And what we really like is when we get the reviews and people are saying, we felt like we were part of the journey with them. We, we were there with them. And that's kind of what we aim for each time. That's exactly why I like it, because I feel like I'm, I'm on your shoulder. Like just going through these like castles in your Dracula, a Romanian documentary and I just love that. It's just authentic to me. It's just like uh, I'm I'm with you traveling right now and it's a bit more real in my eyes. That's why I like watching them. Yeah, and the other side of it is of course we don't have fixers. We don't have a team there True. to you know, you see many of these other programs, they've got a team there. I mean in Romania, when we were filming Dracula's Castle and we got to this castle called Panari, and we'd heard mixed reviews about the actual access to Panari because there is it's in bear country. Yes. And there have been a number of bear attacks on people. So at certain times of year, the steps are closed and you can't actually get up to the castle because of bear attacks. Mm-hmm. And we were going slightly out of season and we we got there and I'd been emailing people and we just couldn't get a response. Nobody would tell us whether this castle was actually going to be open when we got there or not. And when we arrive, and it's a wonderful moment in the documentary because it's a, a thousand steps or something up. It's, it's, a, it's a track up, isn't it? Yeah, I, I was watching the number <laughs> of steps going up. Yeah. And we get to the bottom and there's no one around. The gate's open. There's one car in the car park, but it's frozen over. <laughs> and there's just signs everywhere saying, warning bears, warning bears, warning bears. And we've done a bit of reading, you know, sort of, well, what do you do if you get attacked by a bear? What what do you do? And this is, you know, sort of keep talking loudly and things like that. Yeah, and, clap your hands and all that. Yeah. And, you know, if you get attacked, just try and lay still and hope it thinks you're dead. And we're thinking, well, okay, that doesn't sound like a great plan. <laughs> but it's this wonderful moment where I think if we'd had a team of fixers, if we'd had a BBC film crew around us, 
yeah, suddenly you've got loads of people there, you've got fixers this. It would have all been sorted out, we would have known, we could walk up, instead of which we get this wonderful moment where we're walking up these steps thinking, one, are we going to see a bear? And two, mm. are we going to be allowed in when we get to the top or are we going to get to the top and find we're actually in trouble? And so, yeah, it, it really is great to sort of go along and just be tourists. And we're, we're now pushing that line, whereas when we did Mexico, we were very clearly just tourists because we were. We were there on our honeymoon. Yeah. Now we are filmmakers. And so because we have to make the film, we have reached a point where we are having to contact places in advance, get filming permits, get, mm. get drone permits Drones, and yeah. all of this which in Romania is another kettle of fish that we might come on to later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we'll, we'll talk about Romania now because as we're on to the subject, I thought when you're hiking up those, uh, those steps, well, it might have been back, on the way back down, actually. I think Felicity said, well, if a bear wakes up, what, what happens? Does it just think it's too tired? Nah, we'll just let them go by? Or <laughs> Because yeah, well, in the it's wintertime, it? it's like roughly in winter, right? So they'll be asleep 100%. Well, it, yes, because we got this advice. We, we'd been given this advice to say we would kind of look through how do you deal with a bear attack? And we got this advice that be noisy, be noisy. Let the bears know you're there. You know, the bears only really trouble if they stumble across you or you surprise yeah. them. You let them know you're there. They're going to go. We are we are apex predators as human beings. It's the same thing with, with any sort of uh, wild animal. You have mm. to present yourself as a, the apex predators we are, and that's your best chance of defence. But we're walking along. And she suddenly thinks, well, hang on, because this plan works perfectly well if the bears are up, wandering around and listening. But what if they're asleep? And <laughs> she, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, she actually <laughs> says, is, is that phrase a bear with a sore head? And yes. <laughs> yeah. you, you wake up a bear because you're talking loudly. It's going to come at you like a bear with a sore head. So suddenly we were like, do we talk loudly? Do we talk quietly? <laughs> do we just get off this mountain as quickly as we can? <laughs> yeah, that's a funny moment. Because uh, obviously in Vancouver here, we get talked about bears all the time, right? So... Um, I think I talked about bears a few times on this podcast, but you know, there's, if it's a grizzly, you need to be a bit worried. If it's a brown bear, yeah, a little bit worried. Black bear, you might be all right. Um, there's different scales. Polar bear, you're in deep, deep trouble, deep shit. Oh but, yeah, uh, polar bears are way up north, so they don't hibernate. They're awake all year round. Um, that's the difference. Oh, we're them. so keen to see the polar bears. We've we've looked into They're that huge, so many times. Aren't they? But I mean, the thing with the bears in Romania, and again, this is where it, it crosses over because we make the, the travel stuff and obviously Romania was travel and history, but we're also such big wildlife fans and we're so enthusiastic about supporting and helping wildlife. And so while we were there, we got a chance to go to the Zarnesti yes. Liberty Sanctuary. Mm. And it's just the saddest thing because the bears, they're getting too tame almost in some places. So along the road, just around the corner from Benari, there'll be bears that will come up to the cars. And the trouble is they'll come up to cars for food and then they get a little bit tamer. And then eventually someone does something silly and the bear attacks them. And then that is when you get people going out and shooting the bears. Right. And, but also people capturing the bears. And um, this is less and less now, luckily. I, I mean, the, the work that Honesty Sanctuary has been doing, but one is bears in zoos, uh, now Romania's come part of the EU. Luckily, a lot of this has changed because mm. of the, the the zoo laws that come into place as part of the EU and things like that. But there was one bear there that had been kept in a cage. It was far too small for it. And while we were there, we were watching it just hitting its head against the side of the cage because it couldn't yeah. cope with the fact that it was such a big cage. And the other thing is people were <laughs> literally getting a bear, sticking it on a chain, 
and putting it outside their restaurant as an attraction to bring people in. Just his bear on a chain. And so the great thing about the Zarnesti Bear Sanctuary, the reason we thought they were just one of the most amazing sanctuaries we've ever been to is because we were actually told outright by one of the members of staff, if they could fund looking after the bears without having visitors in there, they would immediately stop all visitors to the sanctuary. Yeah. They don't want, they want these bears to be away from people. So you've got, you can only wander around the sanctuary with a guide and on one side of one set of fences. And if the bears aren't there, the bears aren't there. They're on the other side of the sanctuary. And then there's some bears where the one bear they had, and because it had been kept at a restaurant and it had been trained to do circus tricks, every time someone went past the cage, it would start pirouetting. So they just moved that one right to the other side of the sanctuary. They don't let people near it now because it's just so unfair on that bear. It's awful, isn't it? It's just incredibly, yeah. And so we do try and highlight that. So although that documentary was about Dracula, Mm. meaning, I mean, for the first 10 minutes about Bram Stoker's Dracula, but most of it, it's actually about Vlad the Impaler, the the actual historical Wallachian warlord from the 1400s. But still we had to take 10 minutes out of that because we'd got this route in with the bears at Panari Fortress. We could take a sideline and just go and see the bear sanctuary and just show off the work that they're doing as well. Yeah. I love that part because I, it's it's sad and great at the same time, isn't it? It's sad that we treat those animals like that, but it's also great that there's other human beings that want to help them out. So it is, I think it's an important part of the documentary actually to showcase that there are places like this. And I, I remember you saying, uh, one more thing on that, and then we'll come to the actual overall premise of the whole documentary. But one more thing was that they had str- they, they struggled to open it up because there, there's a term for zoo, right? With like if it's caged or there's certain criteria. But- yeah, there, there's various various problems. I mean, like there's there's one thing where there was a zoo, and it's really sad because that one bear was taken out of it. But because then that cage is the right size in theory for the other two bears the zoo got to keep the two bears despite the fact that the three bears were being kept in appalling conditions. Yeah. But yeah, basically they have said that this sanctuary is there as long as it's necessary. And then they will close it down. They do not want to have a sanctuary. They don't want this to turn into a zoo. Mm. And I'm, this is one of my big things. A lot of places we go to and it's called a sanctuary. And then you find out that they are, basically selling tickets they're making money they're you know none of these bears are being allowed to breed in this place they don't want to breed more bears into captivity but you go to some sanctuaries and they're breeding to keep the sanctuary going almost yeah um so yeah no just the work that they've been doing over there is just absolutely incredible and they're actually linked also to the dog shelter in uh, brasov which is the one of the big towns uh, big cities there and they're linked to that. And so they actually offer free neutering because one of the biggest problems over there, again, with the dogs is nobody or very few people can afford to get the dogs neutered or very few people see it as a, a worthwhile expense. Right. And so as you're driving around, you just see wild dogs everywhere. Just these, these dogs that have basically been abandoned on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. And it was heartbreaking for us because we're, we're very much dog people as well. And just seeing all these dogs and just knowing nothing we can do. We can't grab all these dogs and take them home. But again, there's one area where somebody has literally bought a farm and they've just collecting as many dogs as they can and letting them run free on this farm where they're safe. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great, isn't it? And I've got a question for you. You can answer if you'd like. UK zoos, right? I'm, I'm not a big, uh, what's the word? I'm not an expert in this field, but 
let's say something like Longleat or Chester Zoo, right? Now people go there obviously to see animals, but are these genuine zoos where they actually make a difference these animals or, or would you say they're actually just doing it for money? I mean, for me, a zoo or a safari park is in it for the money. You know, th- th- there's no right. question. It's a very different thing from a sanctuary where the aim is yeah. to help and support. Now, there, then you're into a whole different philosophical and ethical argument. I mean, I really don't like zoos. I, I, yeah, same. I don't like to see an animal in a cage. That yeah. really gets me. Yeah. Safari parks are very, very difficult for me. Um, I mean, you mentioned Longley. It's got a huge... Uh, personal history for me and Felicity um, with Longley and I do like to go there and watch Christmas lights every year and I do like to drive through and see what they're doing especially with the endangered animals that they're taking care of mm. but at the same time yeah it always just it's it's on the edge of my morality where I'm always sort of trying to weigh up and is this right is this okay and it's just it is one of those difficult areas where I mean we're going to talk a little bit later on about cetaceans yes. um whales dolphins porpoises straight away they should not be in captivity absolutely yeah. no way no no way and there's there's not even a, a hesitation there and the, the number of people i mean finally they're slowly slowly getting banned around the world i, I believe canada actually has outright banned cetaceans in captivity now i think you've got i think you've got a couple of parks there that still have them because mm. they're keeping them until they die essentially uh, right. they get to live out their lives yeah. But I believe Canada is one of those countries with outright banned stations mm-hmm. because the, uh, it, it's just the number of miles a whale or a dolphin will travel in a day. Yeah, yeah. And then you're putting them in this cage. And then, yeah. And it's one of those difficult things. We have to kind of be very careful how you do it because you don't want to upset people. You don't want to preach to people. But those people that go to the dolphin, you know, the swim with dolphins in a tank and think, wow, it's this amazing moment where I've connected with nature. And you just think, you've connected with a prisoner you've connected with an animal that should be traveling miles now at the same time you know a pond that's probably okay isn't it because they're they're small fish they're living in a pond what about an aquarium well obviously i don't want to see a cetacean in one but if it's a fish that's got enough space and it's an aquarium and it's well Mm. looked after and then you kind of drift into that gray area again very gray i think the one thing that i i can't get my head around is let's say Longleat or chester zoo They've probably got giraffes and like they shouldn't be there. They're, they're an absolutely wrong place in the world. They're not they're not from UK. They should be wherever they're from. I guess it's like somewhere in Africa, right? So that's my thing. When I see these animals that shouldn't be in our country, the UK, for example, that's what I struggle with. I'm like, is this just to make money or is this generally helping these animals? That's well, I mean, what originally, I originally uh, it's something like Longley. I think Longleat was the first safari park. And I mean that was literally set up by um lord bath i think it was way way back oh really and, oh, wow. and it was just um it was lions to start with i think and they were just roaming around his land <laughs> just, <laughs> right. just, you know i've actually got these lions i mean <laughs> but you can take that right back because i don't know if you know uh henry v in uh, london he actually had a he was actually gifted a pet polar bear at one point we've mentioned polar bears yeah and he would he would have a polar bear and it was on a chain from the tower of london and it would just swim out in the Thames. Wow. Yeah, I did <laughs> not know Hundreds of years there, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, they're quite, well, I guess they're quite popular, aren't they? A, a lot of people well, love going to them. Well, they are. And, you know, at the same time, they do done properly. Like, I mean, you take a youngster to the zoo, a little child to the zoo, and they see these animals and they see them for real and they 
and they get to know these animals. And perhaps there's an argument that seeing these animals will make them more respectful of animals in the mm. future, but they're seeing them in a cage. So it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it is just such a complicated, complicated gray area. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, can you tell us about your Romanian documentary? What were the premise was there? I know you touched on it a bit before, but can you tell the listeners what the idea was from going to Romania? Yeah, so we'd um, at this point in time. So by the time we get to Romania, we've done our Mexico documentary, which was not intended to be a documentary. Mm. Then we've done a documentary all about the Isle of Man, which was coming to the Isle of Man because I had a show on the Isle of Man, basically. And then (laughs) our first location that we actually decided on was Turkey. And we went over there because we had a couple of things on basically on a bucket list that we wanted to go over and check out over there. And then we got to the start of 2020 and I'm so glad we did because we got in just ahead of the pandemic. Yeah. But we knew we had to get another video in and we were looking at various constraints of obviously we're starting off making these documentaries, which means we've got to balance very carefully budget versus what we can hope to make from them. balance Mm -hmm. And so we're looking for somewhere that's not too expensive to go, but also at the same time, it's really got to be something that's going to capture the imagination. And as all the best ideas seem to for me, I was in the shower one morning and suddenly <laughs> just popped into my head because Felicity has this series of books. It's uh, written by an author called Karen Chance, and she has these series of books about somebody called Cassie Palmer. And they basically they use historical characters but elaborate on their stories. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the characters in there were Vlad the Impaler and his brother and some of their history and some of their story. And we've been talking about this. And I just suddenly thought, well, hang on. A lot of people, when you say, and I'll be honest, I'll be amazed how I've been amazed since we made it, how many people this applies to. A lot of people just hear the word Dracula and they think vampire. Yeah, that's me. And then even more than that, a lot of people don't understand that there ever was a real historical person called Dracula. And so for anyone listening who doesn't, very, very briefly here, um, Vlad Dracul was um, Vlad Dracula's father. He was made an order of the dragon. So the word Dracula or the word Dracul means he's a member of the order of the dragon. The word means dragon. Vlad Dracula means Vlad, the son of the dragon. And he was the ruler of an area of what is present day Romania. And it was an area called Wallachia. And basically, he, when he was very, very young, he got not kidnapped by the uh, Turkish rulers, not kidnapped. He was uh, given as a hostage to the Ottoman, to the the Sultan. And the Sultan kind of didn't treat him very well, let's be honest. He was his hostage. He was basically kept as a hostage to make sure that his father wouldn't fight back. And during that time, he learned a little bit about torture and various different methods that were being used. And then when he finally got control of the country and he gained and lost control a couple of times, one of his methods for keeping control and for dealing with his enemies on the battlefield was impaling. He would get a large wooden stake and impale somebody on it. And I mean, when you see the this, a lot of the pictures and a lot of cartoons, it's sort of just a, a stake driven through someone's chest uh, without going into any more uh, gory details. The actual aim was to go all the way through the body from top to bottom so the stake would eventually come out the mouth 
Um, it was absolutely horrendous. It would have been a slow process done properly. It was a, a horrible torture. Because of this, he has this reputation. And because it was then his Germanic enemies who wrote the histories, and we're talking just after the Gutenberg printing press has come out. So the, the Germanic enemies who've got these printing presses and can get their word out, their version of history out across the entirety of Europe, mm. from their point of view, and so really from history's point of view, generally, Vlad the Impaler is this, he, well, he's known as a Vlad the Impaler. That's your big cloak. Yeah. Vlad Dracula, Vlad the Impaler. And he's known as this, this evil character who impaled his enemies and once impaled a there's a stories of impaling a forest of people. However, inside Romania, he's a folk hero because he wasn't the only person impaling. All the different armies were using this impaling technique. He learned mm. it uh, when he was a boy, when he was held hostage. And so we had this whole thing going all the way through the whole time we were out there. We, we were torn between this idea of Vlad the Impaler as a folk hero who who fought to save his country yeah. and did what he had to do to keep his country going in medieval times. And it's one of those important things. You can't judge history by the morality of today. We're talking yes, about a brutal, horrible time. Yeah. He used a brutal, horrible method to keep control versus. So you got that idea. Was he trying to save his country as a hero? And over there he is. He's quite definitively a folk hero. He's very much, I compare him very much to Robin Hood or mm. something like that. You know, he's got this heroic status but at the same time, he was using these horrible tactics and he can be looked at as a villain. And so we were basically out there searching for Dracula's castle. We were trying to find which castles had the closest link to Vlad the Impaler and which one where we felt most connected to this figure while trying to balance out real history with the legend and so much of what he's he is about is a mixture of legend and propaganda and folklore and this question of well is he a hero is he a villain which side do we come down on and I think one of the key things for me the, the ways I know we got it right is we've had you know mostly really really nice reviews nice comments on YouTube nice reviews on Amazon on IMDb yeah. things like that but we have had a couple of quite negative reviews or quite negative comments only no you know we're talking talk, we're talking about out of hundreds of comments it's sort of i think two negative ones that i can think of off the top of my head and one of them absolutely slams us for oh how dare you he's our national hero how dare you suggest he's a villain blah 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 mm. the other one says um oh, how dare you try and blame Ottomans and the Turkish people for Vlad, who's evil and blah. And I was like, well, that's good. We've, we've had one person really upset that we've made Vlad look too much like a hero. Yeah. One person really upset we've made him look too much like a villain. We're probably right in the middle in the right sort of spot. Then. Absolutely. I totally agree. You know, one of the questions I had when we went, you went through the torture room, one of the castles, and they've got these monuments outside with the impaler, right? Going through like the guy. I was thinking logistics. How. How do you get someone impaled? Is it going to take like an, like an army of men to get him like just kind of lined up correctly and he's sort of slowly pressing down? Like I, I couldn't really work out how that Yeah, I mean, I mean, we are going post-watershed here. So, um... <laughs> well, it's, it's about quarter to your, uh, your time, yeah. a.m. So, so <laughs> you, you get 
you get the simple impaling and, and chances are when he was doing like a forest of impaling, he would literally just, you know, they're spiky sticks. Yeah. You grab a person, you slam them down on it. It's a simple, yeah. you know, go right through their chest. But, you know, when you see the pictures of that, when you see some of the drawings of that and the person's then stuck at the top, they wouldn't. They'd slide down really, really quickly. It wouldn't really. The actual impaling torture, which was horrendous, was literally to take that spike and you'd hold the person down, you'd strap the person yeah. down and you would ri- literally take that strike. And the idea was to drive it up the backside yeah. and slide all the way through the body very, very slowly. Uh, and as I say, to try and get it to come out of the mouth and the person would be alive for a, a, a good percentage of that. It was, this was not a murder. This was, uh, this, this was not a killing. This was not an execution. This was torture. This was designed yeah, absolutely. to hurt as much as possible the whole way. And I mean, you mentioned that torture room. We we would not have gone in that torture room if we weren't making a video. And okay. I think I think I hope it comes across in the video just how uncomfortable we felt Definitely. quite quickly. We went yeah. in and we were trying to be a little bit light-hearted with it. Yeah. And the first couple of things we saw, you know, I'd seen before, I'd seen a witch's chair, I'd seen an iron maiden, and then suddenly we're seeing more and more of these tortures. And you're just thinking to yourself, a human brain came up with each of these. Mm. Somebody, you know, and I just can't conceive of of a situation where I'd be like, oh, I'll tell you what we need. We, we need a, a really complicated way just to hurt another human being, not, not to kill them, not to take them out of the equation. Yeah. And not even, you know, it, it's not like, I know some people try and make the argument for torture for information and, Various studies have proved that doesn't, doesn't work. work. You know, waterboarding yeah. and things like that it doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. But going back in time, yes, if you think that people believe that they can torture someone to get him, but no one was after information. Half of these were for people who are accused of witchcraft and things mm. like that. You're not after information. You just want to hurt another person. And so, yeah, and that's where you get really difficult. And that's because whether he was doing it for the right reason or the wrong reason, that was something that vlad dracula did and so you've got that hanging over your head the whole time you're trying to do this documentary and way up here or villain you've got this fact that well he did these horrible things he didn't invent them he didn't come up with them but he did order them to take place yeah absolutely and you you are definitely correct here you did look uncomfortable i can vouch for that when i watched it i was like yeah you you just want to get out there i think in, in the end and yeah like you said if you're trying to weigh up if he's good or bad right right back down to basic level that, that's not a great room to be in um to make no, it look good right <laughs> but the other important thing about that room is again from the point of view of discussing vlad the impaler the spike the we, we see one of the impaling stakes mm. and that its stake was what vlad did yeah and the important thing is all the other stuff in that chamber was stuff that was being done by other people at the same time and so that kind of you have to look at if you're going to look at Vlad and see hero, villain, anything else, you have to look at him from the point of view of look, this is what other people were doing. You know, this is what the, the civilized world, as it were, you know, the, the civilized Western world, as it were, were, as they would have seen themselves at that time. Mm. These are the tools that they were using. And suddenly you think, well, hang on, well, actually, that. That what spike? That's just one of many horrible tortures being used, and you have to look at him with those eyes. And and I am aware that when I start to talk about Vlad, I start using his first name. You know, I start off with <laughs> Dracula and standing. Yeah, 
And this is another thing that I always say with our, our documentaries. I always say there's, there's never just the two characters in the documentary because you'd think it's Felicity and I, we're off on an adventure, there's two characters. There's always more characters than that. And it's very often the country plays the third character, you know, sort mm. of Turkey will be the third. But in this case, it really did feel the whole way, especially when I got to the edit chamber. And it's why the poster for this one, you actually have me, Felicity and Dracula on the poster, Vlad on the poster, because it really did feel to me like we had this third character that was there the whole time, just lurking in the background. Obviously, we never see him on screen apart from in paintings at some point, but he's there. And then, and then we get the weird situation where hundreds of years later, you get into the 1800s and this guy up in Whitby, uh, Bram Stoker, and he's writing this book about vampires Got, got this idea for this vampire story and he sat there and he goes to Whitby Library and he reads this name Dracula from Transylvania in a book and he thinks, oh, those are great sounding names. <laughs> yeah. And so he just puts down this name and suddenly forevermore Dracula is known as a vampire and his real history is suddenly obscured and taken over by this whole vampire thing, which is why we start off the documentary with, I say, about 10 minutes at Bran Castle, which really focuses on the Dracula vampire myth a little bit around the yeah. outside of that and then go, but actually this is a real person. This is real history. That's what we're looking for. Yeah. I think you get to that conclusion pretty well. How did you find just traveling in Romania for your documentary? How was that? Just amazing. It was, especially for the documentary we were making, the, the joy of their culture, everyone we spoke to over there, just the joy they had with their culture and the the willingness to share it with you. We were a little bit worried about sort of doing this Dracula thing. We were a bit worried we'd get out there and find people were upset that we were essentially reducing Romania to Dracula. Mm. You know, that, that essentially it's what we were, were doing. But obviously not, we wanted to make it very clear to people, we're not talking about the vampire, we're talking about your actual folk hero. But everybody we spoke to, they were so willing to share their culture, their history, really got involved, really chatted to us. And so that was that was a, the first wonderful thing we found. And if you're looking for a low-cost destination to go to, you know, if, you, if you're if you on a tight budget, R Romania, one of the things we found absolutely shocking, and I would imagine this is going to change very quickly as it becomes more and more of a tourist destination because it deserves to be a better tourist destination. Mm. But we were sat there booking. I remember we were going through trying to book hotels because we always – because we're filming, we have to plan our route and that one more than ever. We have to sort of go through and we're choosing our hotels and we're sitting there going, no, hold on, that can't be right. We've got we've got this beautiful villa opposite Bran Castle, which is this hugely famous, it's the one that supposedly Bram Stoker based his vampire uh, vampire's castle on. And it's like £13 for the night. And we're thinking, well, hang on, no, no, we must have made a mistake. This must be a youth hostel or something. This, yeah. this can't be this lovely villa. And it is. And you just it's just the most amazing thing. Yeah, I don't think Romania gets the limelight, right? From a, from a traveller point of view, I think if you're in the industry or you're, you're on top of it, I think people in the industry know it's up and coming. I think it's a, it's a place that people are now starting to really go and explore. But from the general person who just maybe dips into Europe occasionally for every year, they, they probably would never be on their radar. But I think it's starting to become even more popular now. Well, yeah, I mean, like a lot of that Eastern Eastern Bloc, what used to be part of the 
Soviet Union, it has this slightly also still slightly odd relationship with, I mean, one of the big things for us was, and I think this has changed since we wanted to use our drone. We, we, we'd got yes. a drone. We actually, yeah. we actually bought a drone specifically for this documentary because we knew we were talking castles yeah, yeah. And we knew there were going to be sort of regulations. And the first thing I'll say is if you own a drone, please just ask permission, ask permission, ask permission, ask permission. Do not just go and fly your drone around a historic building um, because most places they'll be fantastic. And we did. We approached, I think, three castles we actually approached, which was Panari, Bran and Corvin Castle. And all three of them we got to film with the drone app. Uh, Panari, we didn't get to do too much because that was the one that was on top of the hill we were talking about earlier. It was yeah. just too windy for our little micro drone. Mm. But we've got, a, we've got a Mavic Mini, so it's, it's wonderfully designed. So it's a fantastic quality camera, but it's, it's exactly 249 grams. And okay. the reason it's 249 grams is I think it's America and a lot of countries around the world, the limit for needing licenses and registrations is 250 grams got it so it's made deliberately as heavy as it can be without needing additional licenses mm. or it was at the time don't quote me on that because i don't want to get in trouble <laughs> uh, so we went to these various places and we went to brandcast and we said okay can we film and they were fantastic we explained what we were doing and they said yeah uh, we can't let you film while there are people around yeah with the drone so let's open up an hour early you can come out you can fly the drone Brilliant. around yeah. We went to Corvin Castle, exactly the same thing. And then we started to look into the laws because, again, we always try and make sure we do things properly. And because it has a camera on it, because our drone has a video camera, basically, and I say this is a hangover from the, I think, I think really from being quite closed down when it was in part of the Soviet Union behind the Iron Curtain. Mm. They had very, very strict rules about cameras on drones. And one of basically your drone. This two, tiny little 249-gram drone, because it had a camera on it, we had to follow the same procedures as if we were filming from a helicopter. Oh, okay. Which means before we left the UK, I had to submit flight plans <laughs> to the Ministry of Defence. I got this <laughs> huge thing, and I had to have the uh, area we were filming mapped out. I had yeah. to have the times we were planning to fly, the days we were planning to fly, the heights we were planning to fly, all of this had to be mapped out. And I had to send that in and have that approved by the Ministry of Defence. Then they gave me a phone number. And before I took off it, on the day I was doing it, I had to phone up and speak to this colonel, I think he was, in there. Royal Air Force or whatever he was working for. I had to phone up and say, um, yes, hi, it's... Uh, Greg Chapman, I've, I've got flight plan number, blah, 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 blah. Am I okay to launch my drone now? Yes, that's fine. We will have you okay. It'll be up there for uh, no more than 30 minutes. That's absolutely fine. You go ahead. You And you just think, wow, this is, this wow, is complex. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it was, but it was, that was a system. I say, I think it's changed now, but it is, it's that case of just making sure you check the local laws and things like that, especially, I mean, the recent cetacean documentary we filmed where the research team over there are using drones for research especially if there are animals or anything else around make mm. sure you understand what's appropriate with a drone around the animals make sure you're not scaring them stuff like that but yeah so we really had this really interesting situation and we i mean one day we got stuck at um 
we had an issue with our hire car and we got stuck outside the airport and I was trying to film because we were making a note because we were ha- having various problems. We weren't happy with it. So I was doing a yeah. bit of filming just so we could, uh, we don't put stuff like that generally in the documentaries unless there's a particular reason mm-hmm. to, but we wanted it for our own records in order to just sort of say to the company, look, this isn't good enough. And we sat outside and suddenly I'm sat there filming and I suddenly realized there's signs everywhere saying no cameras, no cameras, no cameras anywhere near the airfield. You can't film near the airfield. And suddenly I'm thinking, oh, yeah, hold on. I could actually probably get in quite a lot of trouble (laughs) on the airfield at this point in time. (laughs) But did you, in the end, like for Romania, did you did you capture all that you needed to to make your documentary? Was anything that was missed off, do you think? No, I think we I think we got everything we needed. I mean, the thing with me is I am very story oriented when it comes to yeah. the documentaries. And sometimes we don't know what the story is when we're going in. But as long as when we come out, I can see a story in my head. I know how I'm going to edit it together. Mm. I feel I've got everything. Yeah, there was one place uh, which was the Royal Palace. We didn't get to Royal Palace or didn't get to go inside his Royal Palace in uh, Bucharest because it was closed at that point in time for renovation so there are places we just couldn't get into yeah but to be honest I don't think we missed out on that because we'd already seen his his major fortress and his main ruling area at Targovis there wasn't really anything in Bucharest that could add to the story okay and so we were we were quite happy with but there, I mean there's always you come away and you hear someone will say oh did you do this while you were there did you do that and then one of the biggest moments was the very very end um spoiler alert here but the very very end we wanted to go up and see what's called the sphinx which is a a natural rock in the bukegi mountains that looks like a a, a sphinx or an old lady's face and we wanted to get up to that and we're we're driving and driving and driving and driving and eventually we get blocked because of the snow and everything else and we just couldn't get to it and it made a beautiful ending to the video to kind of go well look we've we've been trying to get behind this myth but at this point in time, we can't because we're blocked off and we feel like we've we've hit a roadblock, the same as we feel like we've hit roadblocks every time we try to figure out the truth of Dracula. And it's this lovely symbolic point. But at the same time, I meant, you know, a few people since have gone, oh, you missed out so much by not getting up that mountain. You really missed out by not seeing it. You really missed it. That's amazing. And I think, well, don't tell me that now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, just just go, go back. Tell me it was rubbish. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. From what I can tell in your videos, the story is the main part, right? So I'm glad you got what you wanted to in terms of the story. And I think what comes across is the story, but also Romania as a country in your documentary. And that's why I liked watching it. Okay, Iron Man. I popped this on last night because I've got a weird fascination with Iron Man. I don't know why I have. It's just a place that you think, oh, it's in between Ireland and UK. You know, is it more Irish? Is it more? Is it more British? But it's actually its own state. I think it's it's a crown dependency or it's crown a crown dependency. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's one of those things, especially coming from the Isle of Wight. Now, the Isle of Wight is technically part of mainland UK, even though it's an island. Yeah, yeah. So, so in in every important way, it's treated as a mainland UK, unless you want to get anything delivered here. <laughs> and then people are like, oh no, we don't deliver, we don't don't deliver it. And like, well, you do. It's 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 just part of the Royal Mail system. You just yeah. you just stick it in the post, same as everything. But no, nobody quite understands the fact that we are just part of the UK. And um and people come across and you know, I've been asked, do we need a passport to travel to the Isle of Wight? 
Do we need, you know, do they speak a different language? And then suddenly a few years ago, I, I got hired to do a show in the Isle of Man. This was mm. the year before we went over to make the video. And suddenly I realized that I had exactly the same questions about the Isle of Man that people were asking about the Isle of Man, yeah. except the answers are slightly different. You, right. you do kind of need a passport to travel to the Isle of Man because it is, as you say, a, a separate entity. Mm. And it does have its own, you know, you have Isle of Man pounds but you can pretty much use english ones there yeah. it all gets you know you don't have to like change your money on the, and all of these little complications we came up against just to be like okay well let's figure out what the isle of man is but i kind of got there and the isle of man i mean most famously it's famous for its um tt yeah. motorbike race yeah. which we avoided because we didn't want to get bogged down with a motorbike race basically they yeah. close an awful lot of the roads there but we wanted to go there and this was this was where we started to really, we were still fighting our feet. So we'd just done the Mexico documentary. Mm-hmm. We wanted to make another one. And I said, well, let's, let's do the Isle of Man. And Felicity said, isn't that a little bit too much like home? Is it a little bit too small? And the answer is, I mean, for a start, you can tell just by looking at our documentaries, the uh, Mexico one, I think is an hour. The Romania one's an hour and five minutes. The Turkey yeah. one, I think is an hour and five minutes. The recent citation one is actually nearly an hour and a half in two parts. Mm-hmm. The other man's 29 minutes, I think. Or something like yes, that. Yeah. <laughs> it is shorter. And we were there out of season and we had bad weather. And it was a case of, okay, can we find enough to film? And we found, obviously, there's this beautiful spot called The Sound where you can sit and you can overlook the seals. And yeah, that's awesome. The seals down there. Mm. And, I mean, we got lucky because you've got to be cheeky. When you're filming like we are, you've got to be cheeky. You've got to have a bit of fun. And so we did this uh, escape room. And it was fantastic because nobody lets you film in an escape room no it's the object (laughs) well exactly you you film an escape room somebody sees it now we'd got down there it was raining every day i'd had other ideas Uh, the um, main promenade in douglas which is the main town they have horse-drawn trams go along them not at that time not at that point in time because they just dug up the whole promenade to redo it so we couldn't do so i was looking around for something to do and i found out they had an escape room and i just sent them an email and I said look we're doing this film is there any chance you'd let us come and film at all and they emailed back and said well as it happens we are retiring one of our escape rooms this week (laughs) only gonna be you know after this week we're ripping it all out we're putting something completely new in so yeah why don't you come and film for you know for us it's a little bit of publicity you're not going to give anything away because by the time your video comes out that escape room doesn't exist anymore yeah yeah and it was just a little cheeky ask and we got to be there and we found you know we ended up calling it railways castles and seals because there's various electric railways and steam railways on the isle of man there's the beautiful seals and then there's a couple of castles we went to as well yes and again, it's trying to find the stories. So we visit Pill Castle, and I was just fascinated by this idea of this ghost dog that they're supposed to have <laughs> yeah. there, and, and the stories relating to it, which are just make me laugh. Some of them, because I mean, there's the guy who goes off, and apparently he goes off in the middle of the night, and he sees his ghost dog, and he never says another word, and then he dies three days later. And you think to yourself, well, hang on, if he never said another word, how do we know he saw a ghost dog? You know. And he's- <laughs> He never said another word. He can't have told anybody. We're just making this up now. Um, <laughs> and and things like that. And we, we get this chance to go around, but it was great. And it was an, another learning experience for us because then we were like, okay, well, that's fine. We've done that. But 
it didn't have a story. The, the, arch, of yes. the arch of the story wasn't it. Now, for some people, it's their favourite one of what we did because it has a lot more little comedy moments in it. Yeah, it's a lot. I, I would say I would say it's probably the funniest one. But I mean, it is, yeah. <laughs> well, funny in a way that's yeah. um, more like a sketch show. If you if if you sort of get my, like, there's there's a funny bit, and then there's a funny bit, and then there's a funny bit, and then there's a funny bit, and it's not the funny doesn't cause an arc that works. It I've, mm. I've never quite been comfortable with the arc. I think we got a lovely documentary. It's a really nice documentary, but the arc wasn't quite there yet. And then so after that, we went to Turkey. And I think Turkey was, I mean, Turkey is the first one. It's actually just been accepted onto Amazon Prime now. Nice. And so it's the first one that was at that level where I was like, okay, we've got to get this one onto Prime Video too, because it's the first one where we've we've become professional, as it were. Yes. We, we've hit that yeah. level where it works. And yes, we are still on a learning curve. Yes, even now, I mean, after Scotland, we've invested even more money into radio mics and things to sound quality a little bit higher and everything mm. else we've got to get sorted out but yeah turkey was that one where we sort of got that arch and then coming back to romania romania was the one where we really hit as it were because when we got to romania we actually found this backbone story this idea of vlad the impaler running underneath and so now i'm being a lot more careful when we start the planning stages to say do we have a story before we begin? Yeah. Because Turkey was great, but it was, again, it was it was this lovely arch and we had these moments, but it was very much a, okay, now we're looking at this, now we're looking mm. at this, now we're looking yeah. at this, now we're looking at this. Whereas it's nice to be able to have just a thread that runs through the back of it as well. Okay, yeah, I see where you're going with that because I actually love the Isle of Man documentary. I thought it was brilliant. Um, so for some listeners here, right, but you know, I get quite a few North American listeners who probably have no idea what Isle of Man is. So just a clarify for people who are maybe listening going i don't even know what this place is isle of man's a little island in between ireland and uk it's not part of uk it's its own little thing and it's got its own language called manx supposedly the longest continuous government in the world i think that's de- debated or maybe of iceland as well but places claim yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um but it's, it's definitely up there it's probably in the top five or something but it's up there it's got its own flag it's just like it's got that own culture on an island that is not really part of anyone. It's his own little thing. So um, for people listening, if you're not sure, get on the map and it's Isle of Man. And it's a place that I've never been to and that I want to go to. I think the documentary really shows those comedy moments. I get it. They're funny, but also the the beauty of Isle of Man, like the, the countryside, the, the, little, the little houses, the classic British houses that are on the streets and the trains as well. They're great. This kind of showcases that nice little almost country feel to UK. Well, that, yeah, it does. No, no. I say we, we, from a from a point of view of yes, it's a documentary. It shows it off. Fantastically proud of it. I'm really pleased with what we did. But I like I say, it's, it's just one of those things. It's for me. I'm always looking. What have we improved? Where have we gone from there? How have we grown? How have we got better? And then I look back at that when I go, ah, you know, so it's one of those things. I I studied um, physical theatre for for a number of years in Turin. Mm. And when I studied physical theatre, I learned an important lesson. And it's not something a lot of people, you know, it's, it's something that suits me, doesn't suit everybody. But the the director of the physical theatre school, if he was just so totally impressed with your work, the absolute best compliment he could give you was he'd sit there and go, that. And that just means it goes. It works. <laughs> right. That is the best thing. You finish, you finish up a piece and he says, that you're fine because what he's more likely to do is stop and go, 
no, that was wrong, that was wrong, that was wrong, that was wrong, that was wrong. That and for me, that is, you know, how I how I try and look at our work. I am confident enough in in myself and in my work and in everything else that yeah, I'm proud of it. I, I know it's it's a good quality documentary without being, you know, no false modesty here. I know it's good, but at the same time. I sit there and when I watch it back, I'm looking for, right, what would I improve? What wasn't mm-hmm. quite right? What what needs modification? How do we build on it? How do we grow moving forward? Yeah, I think that's the same for any type of artist, right? Whether you're doing music or art or filmmaking, I think you can always be critical of, of older work, right? I, I do wonder if like musicians, for example, I don't know, let's say Jimi Hendrix, if he, in his short time on earth, if you look back on his first records going, oh, I could have done that better. But for me, it's like, no, that's a masterpiece. Like, I'm, I'm sure that's what drive people on to do more stuff, right? So you, which we'll come to in a bit as well about your future plans, but I'm sure you've got something else in the pipeline and you're going to learn from all the ones done before and then maybe try and make this the next best thing, right? So I think you just get keep getting better and better, I think. Yeah, I, I think that is what it comes down to. Is it, It's just, you know, we are looking at it from the point of view of, or certainly I'm looking at each one from the point of view of, right, where do we go from here? How do we get better? How do we improve? Mm. And and that, that's how I've always, like you say, it's all forms of art. It's how I've always done my magic. It's how I've always yeah. done my performance. And it's just how you grow. Yeah, absolutely. And talking about the newest one, can we talk about your Scottish documentary? Yeah, um, absolutely. Because I'm key. I've not watched this one. And uh, we're talking before we start recording that this is available on Amazon, but not in Canada currently. So I'm kind of waiting to see uh, when that comes out and I can buy it. But let's yeah tell the listeners what, the idea was for your latest documentary yeah so this one was again it's, it's a step slightly sideways because we obviously we've been through the pandemic and everything else and we mm. were we kept trying to figure out our next travel documentary and we've i mean we've now got a pile of plans and we're still waiting to decide which one's going to be the next one because each time we got close to it the pandemic changed the rules and yeah and because of what we do if we weren't filming we might have gone well, I'll tell you what, let's just go for it. Let's just let's just shoot a, pick a dot on the map and go. For it. Whereas because we're filming, we need to have everything lined up in advance. We need to get filming permissions and everything else. We can't just do that in the spur of the moment. And we were looking for somewhere to film. And we'd done some work with this charity. We've we've been trying to raise some money for marine charities for a couple of years. Yeah. And the most recent one we chose was the Cetacean Research and Rescue Unit, which is a charity up in Scotland. And we'd raise some money for them. And actually, during the course of the uh, pandemic, we'd, I'd actually done a show that had raised some more money for them. We'd ra- raised several hundred pounds for them. And so I really like this little charity and I really like what they're doing. And we'll come to what they do in a minute. And then we sat there thinking, right, we really want to make another documentary. We've got to make another one, but we're struggling to travel. What can yeah. we do a documentary about where we don't have to worry about that? And we came up with this idea, RT, what we'll do a we'll try and film something about the CRIU and the work they do. And I got in touch with Dr. Kevin Robinson, who runs the the station research and rescue unit. And I sort of got in touch and I said, look, you know, we've raised a bit of money, but we want to showcase you to the world now. Is there any chance you'd let us bring our cameras up and come and film what you do for a couple of days? And bless him, Dr. Kevin, he said, well, why why don't we have a chat on Zoom? We'll sit down, we'll have have a little chat. And we sat down and he said, I've been thinking about your idea. Um, come up, film us for a couple of days. He said, he, he said, wouldn't it be better if you came up for 10 days, joined the team, you became members of our team for 10 days, wow. you got involved, you did everything with us, and that's how we 
you know, that's how you get your documentary. And we were like, yes, please, that'd be fantastic. This is this is incredible access we've got. And so that is what we did. We went up uh, in September last year and we spent 10 days living and working with the team. And what they do, they are a, a cetacean research and rescue charity. So two parts, obviously, to that remit. One is the research. So they are out on boats. They are tracking the the dolphins and whales and porpoises in that area. Mm-hmm. They are learning them. They are studying them. They're studying their behaviors. They're studying what makes them unique and using that data, therefore, to say, well, hang on, how can we, how can we help them? How can we make them safer? Are they, are they doing something? Are they more in danger from one thing than another? And then the other side of what they do is rescue. And a lot of that is actually with providing data to allow for campaigning for protected areas mm-hmm. they do do the actual marine rescue and during the course of conservation we actually train in marine rescue with a a two-ton water-filled inflatable pilot whale so we learn how the rescues work but the tragic side of that is an awful lot of refloatings are not going to be successful especially with with larger species yeah um deep ocean species especially if they are supposed to be in a in a group and the group has left, but it's, you know, it's still a lot of the time, it's still worth trying. And we go into that in a lot more detail in the, in the actual documentary, but they also, I mean, some of the campaigning work they do, they've done an awful lot of campaigning to, to save seals as well, even though they're slightly outside of their remit. And so they, a tiny team and the guy, Dr. Kevin, he runs it. And he has throughout the summer, he has teams of research assistants come up and spend time researching up there and working with the team and doing everything they need to do and going out and educating people and explaining to people and helping. And so to actually be involved and be part of the team and take the cameras up there. And I'll be honest, I I didn't get to be as much a part of the, the actual groundwork of the team as Felicity did because Felicity is way more knowledgeable about cetaceans than I probably ever will be. She knows mm. so much about them. So when we got up there, I was very clear, you know, right, well, you've got to get involved. You've got to do everything. You know your stuff. You belong in this team of research scientists, essentially. You belong in this group. You you know your stuff. I don't. You know, I, you know, I, I, I'm fascinated by them. They're incredible. I know so much more since I've been with Felicity than I did before. But I'm still going to struggle with, once you get into the slightly more obscure species of dolphin, I'm going to struggle (laughs) with exactly which one's which and things like that. And so I got, I was much more of a filming documentary maker in this one and just filming what was going on and trying to track the process. And so it's a very different one because on the others, we're traveling around, we're seeing different places. This one, we are, we're stationary. We are in this small village and out on a boat for 10 days. And so it's very much more of a documentary about them. And it also became a big ensemble piece as well. I, I said to you that the I always see us as having more than two characters, and it's very often the country that takes the part of the third character yeah. or, or Dracula takes part of the third character. Whereas in this one, there were eight members of the team. And the main one we focus on is Dr. Kevin, but there are eight members of the team. And so we've got a lot more people involved and there's a lot more going on. And it was just another nice way to take a little twist and a little sideways move from our, from our straightforward travel stuff. And I think as we move on, we're going to do a lot more 
wildlife documentaries interspersed with the travel documentaries as well. Yeah, I would love to watch them. I, I love, well, we all love animals, right? Well, most of us do anyway. And, and for this, was the idea that you're just going to go out every day and just see what happens? Is that just more out of your control that way, do you think? Well, I mean, the, yeah, this was completely, you know, we were going up there and we were going to take the experience. And yeah, it's, again it's it's how i how i like to work it's how i like to film a lot of our stuff we have a plan and we have a backbone but it's still there is nothing written in stone we don't script anything in advance we mm. have ideas we have places we're going and but this one was so totally out of our hands because i mean we ended up i think we managed to get out on the boat twice the time we were there because the the winds were too strong it wasn't great conditions okay. it's not you know we're not we weren't up there as on a whale watching tour or anything else like that, we're there for research. Yeah. And so after we'd been out one day and we'd seen the dolphins and we'd track them and we'd help them record them, there was no point in us going out the next day and worrying the same group of dolphins again. Oh, okay. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we, we got out a couple of times on the boat, but then we spent time learning how they process and catalog them we got to go and see a couple of other places locally they've got a great gannet colony nearby and we learned about some of the other work we do as i say we we did this uh, rescue of a of a replica pilot whale so we got to learn how the rescue works and an awful mm -hmm. lot about that and so it was this it was fascinating but it was it was i, I mean i know felicity was worried and i know dr kevin was worried to a certain extent because i was behind the camera yeah. And I have the way my mind works is I just sort of see the story and then I can come back to the edit studio and put it together. And the trouble is that because they weren't where I was, they weren't behind the camera. I think both of them were a little bit worried. Oh, have we got enough footage? Are we going to actually have a story here? Have we got a story? Because it just feels like we're just all doing stuff, but we've got these. And I'm sitting there going, yeah, don't worry. I can see it. It's fine. It's all going to, it all flows. I can see the storyline running through. And it does. And it's, I think it's certainly the most educational thing we've made. And the great thing was that we could go up there. And one of the things I enjoy is not being the expert. Yeah. yeah I like absolutely. to go up there and knowing our stuff, knowing, you know, we don't want to go up there and look like we don't care or like we know nothing about it. Like when we did the Dracula documentary, but at the same time, we don't want to appear like we are know-it-alls and we're experts, especially when we're up there working with this incredible research just, team. Yeah, yeah. And we can we have the opportunity to ask some questions, and we can we can know our stuff. And by knowing just enough, it allows you to find a way in. But also, it was very useful again that Felicity and I had very different levels of knowledge because I think my level of knowledge is probably above most people on that mm. particular subject, you know, sort of in general public, but I'm below anyone who studied it for any length of time. You know, yes. if you've done a, a degree in marine biology, I think I'm well below what you know. And so I can be like this little gateway in. And I knew that basically if I understood what was going on, the audience probably understands what's going on as well. And so it does, it just comes down when we're filming, it is that thing of, can we make it a story? Because... And one thing we, you know, we discussed back when we first started out, we discussed, are we going to be documentary makers or are we going to be YouTubers? And it's a very different choice. And both of them we seriously considered. But a YouTuber, you can make a five, 10 minute video. And so something like um, our Turkey documentary or, or even mm -hmm. Romania, 
our Romania documentary, we might have done as five, five to 10 minute videos. This is a video about Corvin Castle. This is a video yes. about Panari Fortress. We didn't want to do that. We wanted to make a video, a piece of art, or in this case, a two-part documentary, but longer format. And so it's got to have that flow. It's got to have that through line and everything else. But we've also got to be able to take the audience on the journey with us. And so this one where we're talking about a slightly more complicated subject, and we, we spoke at the beginning about even the title of it, um, Seeking Cetaceans in Scotland. Yeah, I can't, word, say, I, I, can't, I can't say it very well, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that, that word cetaceans, it's not cetaceans. a word that necessarily that many people are familiar with. And it just True. it's just a collective term for whales, dolphins and porpoises. Mm. But we do have to just be you know, a little bit careful, make sure, yeah, okay, great. We got this word cetaceans, but it means when I'm doing the marketing, I have to be so careful to just keep using the words whales, dolphins, porpoises. If I say to people at a documentary and we see wonderful dolphins, I think 99% of people go, oh, dolphins, we like dolphins. Yeah. If I say cetaceans, there's a certain percentage of people who go, no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think it's also an interesting debate you're having about being a, a YouTube or a long, longer format in terms of documentary because society, right? Let's say I'm generalising a little bit here, but the, the newer generation, the younger generation, probably a bit younger than us, probably want those quick five to ten minute videos right but maybe our generation or a bit older would probably prefer the longer format so for me i want a longer format this is in two parts right there's part one and part two to this um which you obviously will come to where you can buy it um later on but yeah that's a personal choice of mine but i guess it's a tough choice right where do you want to go that's it and it is it's very much a case of where where do you want to go and what are your plans and where do you want to look and where's your focus and everything else like that and for me i just I would just rather focus my time on perfecting. Eventually, I would I would like to be putting out sort of maybe eight to ten documentaries a year. Mm. Um, that 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 would be my ideal sort of area of you know sort of range of mixed up between the wildlife and the travel, something like that. Whereas to really make success on YouTube, you've got to be putting out a couple of videos a week. Yeah. Um, and yes, initially our stuff was released on YouTube, and some of the early ones are still on there. But to be honest, for the longer format stuff, it's not the best place to be. And we just prefer to have it on places where, I'd say, as you think, I think of YouTube as short videos. Yes. I don't think of going onto YouTube and watching an hour documentary. So for my mind, for us, it's a case of putting it somewhere where people are looking for that sort of thing. We're much better Absolutely. off going somewhere and figuring out where people are looking and on the flip side, you know, we we looked at YouTube and I, I keep looking and thinking, right, perhaps I should do something shorter form on YouTube as well, because it's important. This is one of the things we found recently. We're talking to places about, you know, sort of funding for the films and things like that. We have to just sort of go to places and say, like, well, can you can you help us? You know, will you help us with this? Will you help us with that? You know, are you interested in a partnership deal with us? And what we found with a couple of places now is... They, they, they can look at all of our filmmaking stuff and they can be really quite keen and they can, you know, really like what we're doing, but they've got boxes they've got to tick and their boxes don't cover documentary filmmakers at our level. They would, you know, if we were the BBC, then obviously, oh yeah, BBC yeah. will give you, but at our level, they put us in the same category as influencers. 
And so rather than looking at what our documentaries are doing, they say, well, what's your social media reach like? Mm. And the one one they all want is Instagram. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. And but for me, straight away, I go to YouTube, you know, so now we've got to build up our Instagram. It's something we understand we've got to do. I'm going to YouTube and I'm watching all these five, 10 minute videos about, you know, Instagram and how you can work it, how you can make sure it's engaged, how it's actually useful rather than just you know, rather than just getting loads of people to follow you, how do you actually get people engaged? Yeah. And it's YouTube is this incredible resource. So it's it's nothing very important to say it's nothing against YouTubers to say that's not how we want to be defined in what we do. It's just I think our content is not a YouTube content, it is a longer format documentary content. Yeah. And am I right in saying that even YouTube, it takes a lot of views to get anything that's worth mentioning in terms of money right to, to try and make a yeah. living yeah basically i mean you've got to have um four thousand watch hours a year before they actually monetize you in the first place before they stick adverts on it at all so you've got to have wow. you know that's our romania documentary would have to be watched four thousand times in its completeness before they even uh start and i mean it has i mean it's had 30, 34,000. Yeah. but wow the amount of money we make for that is just so small in comparison to what we would make on one of the other streaming platforms or on Amazon or something like that. And the only way you're going to make the money is with all the adverts breaking it up every five minutes. And so I'd much rather no, most recent three. Now the ones that are actually on available on prime video in the UK and the USA, those ones are no longer on YouTube because I'd I'd much rather people watch it straight. Now there are other places you can watch them. We'll mention them a bit later. There are other Mm. places you can watch them with all the adverts in, if you want to do that, personally, I'd spend a couple of pounds and watch yeah. it, watch it without yeah. the adverts. They, they just annoy me. I, 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 you know, everything I watch these days is on streaming platforms. I don't think I've watched an advert in years. To be honest, it's an ongoing pain point because obviously I've thought about this before with my podcast about how to monetize it, and ads is definitely one way to go about it. So I'm constantly battling because I hate ads too. Can I really put ads in my podcast if I hate? watching or listening to them is a, it's a real moral battle already. So that's why my podcast is ad-free at the minute. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a constant battle. And I think you're right to go up personally. I think you're right to go to the, you know, people will pay two, three pounds for it. Like once it's available it's for me, also, I'm, I'm buying it. It's, it's, it's nothing. It's, really, is it? it's also a question of personal choice as well, though. I mean, there's some things, I mean, when we submit to Amazon, we can only personally submit to Amazon in the UK and the USA. Um, which yeah. is why that's where they are. Um, we have a film marketplace that we go through that then gets us onto things like um, Tubi, TV and Plex and things that are available in more locations around the world. And those you have to watch the adverts. You know, that's just yeah. how the deal works. What I want is for people to have that choice as well. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, I, I would choose to pay the couple of quid not to have the adverts. Yeah. And where you're talking about with your podcast, I mean, I know you've, I mean, look at us, we're, we're both sat here, uh, for those those people watching on the videos, we, we both sat here with our, our logo T-shirts on. Yeah. You know, we, we got on. And merchandise is a way where, you know, you've got your listeners. Yeah. And they basically have a choice because podcast, you know, same as what we do. We, our videos cost us money and they don't just cost us money. They cost us time. This time. is our, this is mm. our job. You know, I'm, I'm slowly transitioning from the shows being my main job to the videos being my main job. And so. Mm-hmm. It costs us time, it costs us money, it costs us effort. It is a job and we have to make that money back. And it's the same thing with the podcast. I mean, it does cost you a bit of money and everything yeah. else. 
And then people, you're giving your audience a choice. You know, basically, we've got to fund this. Look, we've got this merchandise. If you want to support us, you know, you can buy your your winging it T-shirt, which mm-hmm. I see you're, you're, you're bravely showing off there. You can buy your winging it T-shirt, and then I don't have to put ads on the podcast. Yeah, exactly that. And it's the same thing. If If people, if we find that not enough people are buying it, then we'll just push everything towards ad-based stuff and everyone has to watch it with the adverts in the middle of it. But at the moment, we're in a position where we can split the two. So, And I think the same thing uh, with your podcast is with our videos. The other thing is that Amazon and IMDB, uh, those are places you can leave reviews. A lot of the places you you don't have reviews and, and it's just that extra thing of just wanting to say to people and this is something i will say over and over again till i'm blue in the face not just about our work if uh, if anyone listening has a creator if you have a, a blog that you particularly enjoy if you have this podcast or any other podcast you particularly enjoy if you watch our videos or any other videos you particularly enjoy it's going to take you two minutes to leave a review leave a comment anything like that and the amount of good that does actually for the creators is just incredible just at, i mean at the moment we've just got our new documentaries up and it's just a case of right we 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 need to get some reviews on amazon because until you get those reviews people it's the wisdom of crowding once people go oh look that's that's got 100 reviews and they're all good but we'll we'll give that a watch whereas if they go and go oh it's got five reviews and they're good they go yeah it's only five people have ever seen it (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's why i constantly bang on social media and before and after and during an episode please review and rate that's probably the the cheapest and the best way to support and then if you want to go a little bit further then you can buy me a coffee for five dollars or purchase a merchandise uh, item absolutely key you're right I, I you just need it for traction right it's taken for me a year to really people ask like how do you guest right it's taken me a year like a year of constantly whacking out stuff every day on social media instagram the big one and also just getting people to do some reviews and if you really don't want to spend time writing a review, then just go on Spotify and take one second and click that five stars. You don't even need to write anything. You just click five stars and it's done, right? So um, if people listen, that's the easy way to help and support uh, both of us in our journeys of these podcasts and videos, right? Yeah, and uh, that, that's it. And it's just these simple things. And obviously, we're, we're talking to travellers. So mm. also, don't forget TripAdvisor. I mean, Felicity and I, we very carefully go through and... After we've been on an adventure, you know, after we've been in Romania, we sit down, we, we take one afternoon or whatever, and we sit down and we go through TripAdvisor and those tour guys we've had or those places we've had, things we've done where they've been particularly good, we make sure we go through and just leave them all a review on TripAdvisor. That does us, you know, that's, that's not doing us any good as a, mm. you know, for what we're doing. But when people have done great work and when you've had that great experience, share it with other travellers, but also do a favour to those people who've, who've helped you out, have given you that experience, because it, it doesn't cost you anything. Exactly. Just make a point of it, maybe during your coffee in the morning. Okay, 20 minutes drink coffee. Let's just do a few reviews from the day before. I think it's a great uh, routine to get into because it does really help these guys, um, especially if they're really, like, top-notch about what they do. Um, it can only help. So, yeah, it's a little bit of advice there, I think, for people, if you're listening for anything, whether that's, yeah, documentaries or a hostel, whatever, whatever it is. Um, I've got a question about this, the Scottish one very quickly. What was the reaction of the team once you like finalised oh. editing and released it? What do they think? 
Oh, it was it was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, we just especially from um, Dr. Kevin, who you know he sent us this lovely message saying how he'd he'd worried, like I say, he'd worried that perhaps mm. we hadn't had enough footage, and then he'd suddenly seen it all come together, and you know, sort of the fact he got quite choked up towards the end of it because we got it just just right, and I think we tweaked everything just right, and he got. Quite choked up, but and but he said, you know, for us it was all about that balance between being an entertaining documentary that's very much yeah. got the heart of Greg and uh, Greg and Felicity Adventures documentary, but also at the same time letting the team show what they know and showing off and really being a promotional opportunity for them. And I think with that, just that nice little balance, just we got some really lovely responses from all of the team, and I know a lot of them were, you know, they're not they're not performers. And a lot of them were quite worried about being on the camera, but we've had mm. some really nice stuff about how we've cut it together and everything else. So yeah, it was just fantastic to work with them. And and that's the main thing. I mean, you want you want the people that you're involving in the documentary like this to be happy with it. That's what we're there for. I can't wait to watch it. But also if it helps the team, if they get, I don't know, extra funding or extra exposure, then that can only be a good thing, right? Well, I mean, for our point of view, we've done, um, we, it was very clear to us from the start. I mean, there was no, none of this was um, sort of agreed on by the, te- you know, the team just said, come make your film. Yeah. But obviously, as soon as we made the film, Felicity and I said, well, look, we've we've made this film. They're a great charity. And so we actually, we've done um, DVDs of it, uh, which are available just all over the world. If, if anyone still has a DVD player, uh, we have DVDs and we, we sell those for a tenner plus postage, which I think it is. But the main reason we did those is I do a lot of live shows over the summer and we can sell the DVDs at those. But straight away we said, right, we'll sell those for a tenner. We'll give five pounds from each of those to the CRIU. Like, you know, we hardly make anything off of a DVD sale just purely because it's, you know, the other five pounds covers our cost basically yeah um and then we've also said that everything we make from the online stuff so everything we make anyone that buys one on amazon uh anyone that watches one when eventually it's available on other platforms anything we make off of the criu documentary off signal station in scotland anything that we make off of that documentary we split straight down the middle half of it goes straight to the criu to help them carry on their work because it is a charity we believe in. It's a charity mm. we think deserves that. And hopefully other people will watch it. And one, they've bought it or they've watched it and straight away that's given something to the charity. But at the end of it, I do do my own personal appeal. And I just say, look, if you've got money, you know, if, if you've got a couple of quid and you've enjoyed this documentary and you can spare a couple of quid for this charity, they are a small charity. They're not, they're not huge. And it's one of the reasons why we like working with them because... I mean, I think we raised um, 700 pounds for them or something during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Now, if you give that to one of the huge conservation charities, you know, you give oh, that yeah. to the, the the World Wildlife Federation or whatever, mm. um, that's, a, that's a drop in the ocean, you know, that's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Whereas for this charity, we got to go up there and they said, right, this trailer that we need, it's got all our kittens, so we can just wheel it straight out if we've got a rescue. That trailer... That was where, you know, your money went towards that. Your money helped us get this, your money. And that is something that is important because it means if you can donate a couple of pounds, it's really actually going to be spent actually on the ground. Yeah. Keeping that going. So. Yeah, you're right. And I think we'll ask Greg for those links to that charity and also to his documentary as well. Don't forget, um, don't worry about that. I've got 
plans to put that in the show notes but also social media so if you make sure you read the show notes or follow me on instagram or facebook or twitter i'll put those links up for you to either check out the charity or check out the documentary and buy it so no worries and what there. i will say with uh with with scotland at the time this is coming out as i say it's available on um prime video in the uk prime video in the yeah. usa unfortunately it's not available online anywhere else in the world at this point in time we are working on it and uh, we are hopeful it will be available in more countries soon you can still buy a dvd wherever you are in the world and we'll ship those out but hopefully you know by the time this goes out even we may have uh, may have it up in more places as well okay that's great yeah um if you keep post about that i'll make sure i post that out on there social media and stuff like that my main ones were romania isle of man and scotland they were my three main ones today a quick touch on the maybe mexico one because that's your first one um we've got to mention it right like yeah i mean most of what i can say about mexico i think i've already said which is the fact that it's you know it it was supposed to be our honeymoon we weren't we weren't going out to make a documentary (laughs) it just it just happened you know it just happened that we had this footage and but it was just this most amazing, amazing experience because basically we we knew we were going to have a, you know, we, we were getting married. We wanted to have a honeymoon and where where do you go? And we had both had ideas of what we wanted. And I mean, we set it up in the very beginning of the documentary and that one is available on YouTube all over the world. Um, Mexico, Mayan Mystery and Marine Majesty. And we kind of had this idea and we set it up and I just wanted, you know, when we sat there, we were right. I, I wanted some history, but I wanted some real Indiana Jones history. You know, I, I yeah. wanted to go and I wanted to be in these ruins. And, these, and um, Felicity, obviously, she wanted to go and see cetaceans and some of the biggest cetaceans in the world. And she ha- immediately had this idea of uh, Magdalena Bay in Mexico, which is where you can go out on the boat and it's a little island you stay on and you go out on a boat and you see these huge grey whales and they're some of the biggest... Uh, in the world and so we said okay well hang on a minute if we got Mexico then they've got all these jungle ruins Mm. and then I started on this slightly and in the end it worked out perfectly for the video documentary and I started on this slightly slightly obsessive aim of finding what I term a proper jungle ruin (laughs) basically I wanted to find you know basically all I wanted was to be standing in the first scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, when they go, yeah. going through that jungle. And so we, we kind of got over there and we'd plotted this room. We started off with um, Teotihuacan, Khan, which is um, not a Mayan ruin at all. It's a pre-Mayan ruin. But when we were there, it's just outside of Mexico City and it was like a desert ruin, but we got to climb up all the pyramids. You can't at the moment, unfortunately, because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, but we got to climb up and sit on the top of these pyramids and just even on that first day, just sat on the top of the, the Pyramid of the Moon and you look down the Street of the Dead in Teotihuacan and you just sit there and just amazed at the, the work that was put into building this site. And then we travelled on. And I think the second, I think it's the second room we get to, El Tahin. And I walk in and, and I mean, El Tahin, it was found, I think, I'm going to get this wrong. I think it was the 1800s. It was found off the top of my head, but it was found by a government inspector who was looking for an illegal tobacco plantation in this jungle. And instead he found the pyramid of niches, which is this incredible pyramid in the middle. And we got there. And I think it's that one where I walk in and and just on the video, I just go, this is a proper jungle ruin. And I I thought we'd made it then. You know, I thought, but 
and that one you can't climb up the pyramids Mm. You, you couldn't climb up the pyramids and it was all nicely cleared. And then we carried on to um, Ushmao, which was full of animals. But again, you couldn't really climb a, a lot of the pyramids and it just didn't quite have the right feel. And then we ended up in Palenque. And in Palenque, we actually got a guide who took us. There's the main site, but we, we met this guide, uh, Marco, and he took us into the jungle just around Palenque where you're walking through and just everything is still buried it all looks as it would have been when the site was first found so you're just in a proper jungle with these ruins around and that was when I had my uh my, my first sort of Indiana Jones moment you know that, that was it you know we were suddenly <laughs> yeah. in this forest with it. but I mean that was hilarious speaking about guides always you know li- little traveler's tip for everyone always check that your guide is telling you the truth um because he was he he was a fantastic guide but but before we went into the jungle we said to him um you know because you get there you park up uh we we are uh, car hire people we always hire a car we like to travel we like to better drive ourselves places especially with all the kit we've got we're traveling around with so we so we pull up to the car park and this guy comes over and he says look it's um whatever it was 70 quid or something um, I think it worked out at, to go into the jungles and and we're sitting there and we're going well we're on a budget we've got to be a bit careful we've already over budget we're going to regret it if we don't do this and I think it was when he said uh, we'll go and see the howler monkeys and we've not seen the monkeys yet yeah. and it was like okay yeah no okay we've got to do this <laughs> so we said um he said he said I, he's, he said do you speak Spanish no 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 we don't speak Spanish okay I, 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 I do the tour in uh, English I can do it all in English it's not a problem I do it in English so we, so we um, agree, we, we pay the guy, we start wandering into the jungle and we, we're getting into the jungle and he starts talking. And I said to him, um, I, and somehow we got to discussing sort of language and that. And I said to him, yeah, you speak English very well. And he said, oh, he said, I, I speak English. Yes, he said, um, he said, my main language is Spanish. And then I, I studied Italian. I said, oh, you speak Italian. I said that. Uh, me too. I said, I spent seven years there. <laughs> and okay. it was like this wave of relief went across his face. <laughs> and he went, you speak Italian? I was like, yeah. He said, good, because I don't really speak English very well. <laughs> <laughs> he said, but I speak Italian fluently. Yeah. And so for the rest of the time, he just kind <laughs> of, he was doing the tour in Italian and I was translating it to Felicity as we went along, which was just. <laughs> I'd like love to was... know like what, what you'd been told in English. Uh, yeah exactly yeah, like, I, I just think how would he tell you things well i think the, i think he probably knows just enough english to do his standard tour yes but he, he couldn't chat it. he couldn't yes. have a chat he couldn't yeah. in, in, you know if felicity had a lot of questions if you went around but when she asked a question i'd very often have to translate the question for mm. her uh, so that he could then answer it and i'd be translating back the answer and it does it just makes it you know you just think yeah okay if we'd only spoken english well, we would have come out of that going, I'm not really sure we got the best deal. <laughs> yeah. And how did you feel at the end of Mexico in terms of what you created? Did you feel, I know you mentioned it before, but was that like, ah, oh, like a light bulb moment? Oh, we can do this. Like, it's a, it's a viable option. Well, it was months. That first one, I mean, now we, we turn around and edit in a month, really. We have to. Yeah. And, and, and moving forward, we got to get that turnaround quicker and quicker. But that one, we actually didn't, we got back from Mexico, I think in the middle of March and we didn't release it until the end of July because I just kept tweaking it. And yeah, I mean, one of the biggest difficulties I have, I'll be honest, is I kind of have to almost reach a point where I have to just sort of 
lock Felicity out of the room while I do some editing. And there, there, there reaches a point where, because the trouble is, if I can be slightly more brutal than she can, I think is I think is the way of putting it. Okay. If Felicity was editing these documentaries, each one would be six hours long, <laughs> <laughs> or yeah. possibly twenty hours long. You know, I, and it's so difficult. And so I'm I'm the one that gets left with the the, the brutal decisions of going. Look, we've got five hours of incredible. I mean, jumping back to the station documentary, the first day we were out on the boat with the dolphins, between the three cameras we were using that day, we ended up with about fourteen hours of footage <laughs> in in one wow. day. You know, yeah, you know, and that that's got to be edited down in the final edit. That's probably ten to fifteen minutes at most for the whole boat adventure. And so, yeah, so you really have to be quite brutal. But that first one, because it was our honeymoon as well, and we kind of wanted to keep everything and trying to figure it out. And I was learning as I went along. It took us quite a long time. But then when we put it together and we watched it back and it was a documentary and it's it's got its faults, um, you know, the... The fact that when we arrived, I, I had the wrong camera at Tia Tia Khan. I didn't have our one with a decent microphone mm. on it. In fact, I had a, a GoPro with a backplate on, yeah. which means that you can actually, there's one moment where you can kind of hear the sound when I'm not on camera because the microphone's at the back. and it's, yeah. So there's a lot of sound issues with it kind of cutting through. It's But we watched it through and suddenly it was just that whole feel of it. And we're like, we've got something here mm. and then we put it on youtube and the views started going up and up and up and it was sort of the first thing we'd really properly gone for on youtube so i'd, I'd had a channel for a while and i'd put little videos on here and there yeah but the, you know that got up to sort of fourteen thousand views fifteen thousand views something like that and it was like oh hold on we this this mm. could work and we were getting lovely comments and people talking to us and asking us so we're gonna and that was it i mean between the release of that and the release of the Isle of Man, I mean, we went away sort of three months later to film the Isle of Man. Two months after that, we were filming in Turkey. Two months after that, we were filming in Romania. And then two years after that, because of obvious reasons, we were then finally filming in Scotland again. Yeah, but yeah, it was. It was just that epiphany moment. The first one where I, I was sat in Mexico and I thought, We've got the footage here. And I knew at that point in time that we had the footage and we could make something special. Mm. But then actually to be able to turn around and show to everyone and say, no, look, this is, this is our plan. This is, this is a documentary we can. And it was like, this is a documentary we can make with the equipment that we have to hand and no intention of ever having made a documentary. Mm. This is what we've ended up with. Just, you know, now we can go out and learn and hone and work on our craft, work on our art and and uh, just get there. Yeah, that's awesome. That light bulb moment is pretty um, pretty special, isn't it? Oh, it it's, is. It's, yeah. it's, quite, it's quite a unique moment. You don't get them very often. No, and that's it. And it, I've always been a big fan of the, of the light bulb moment because I can say it's um, Romania. It was just literally we were looking around. We tried, thought of a couple of places and they just weren't quite panning out. And then it's just like, being i know where we need to go next mm. we've got to go to romania we've got to do make this documentary and it does and it's just wonderful to see it and go right it's worked and and that moment of release and i'm a big fan of you know perfectionism is wonderful but if you're a perfectionist you never get anything done no you don't so, yeah, so yeah. i'm a big fan of you know you've got to get these documentaries as good as we can and then we get them out yeah and it's that beautiful moment for me because once the documentary is out it's out yeah 
that's it. It's, it's then onto the marketing, it's onto the pushing, but then I can relax and just enjoy watching it. Once it's out, I can enjoy watching it because I'm no longer going, oh, I can tweak that, I can tweak that. It's too late now. Mm-hmm. I'll make notes for next time. And very often, like I say, it's things in the film and the edit, you've got all the time in the world to enjoy the edit, but the, for the filming, uh, you know, and, and I have, I've come back off the Scotland documentary and I've been reading an awful lot about sound and things like that because yeah. in the Scotland documentary, a lot of time we're competing with wind and boat noise and sea True. and everything yeah, else. Yeah. And we're competing with all of this. And so I've been like, okay, well, how could we have done that? How can we get that better? How can we work on that for next time? Mm. And so it is, it's just, um, but it is, it was that moment of just, I think rather than the moment of release, it was just that moment, just that, and just going, hang on a minute. Have you seen the footage we've got? Have you seen yeah, the things we've had? You must feel what, like what? proud, right? Surely just oh. it's like a sense of achievement. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Every, when it comes together and it works, it's just wonderful. Yeah. And I think you make a great point about getting it out. I mean, there's a fine line, right? There's a fine line between producing and releasing someone that's pretty shit, but also you can, you're can you never going to get perfection. So uh, you always read all the time about our, whether it's podcasting or videos or documentaries, like just start just start getting your content out. The first ones are always going to be a bit ropey because you're learning the yeah. ropes, right? Um, well, I mean, yeah. again, as a live entertainer, I've, I've learned that, you know, you've got to try stuff out. You've just got to, you've got to try that joke. You've got to try that, you know, yeah. in that show, you've got to try that joke it might get a big response. It might not. And, but also you've also got to be a bit careful about who you listen to as well and how, who you trust. And my thing yeah. is I have an audience in mind when I make our videos and that's the audience I care about. Mm-hmm. So if, if that audience, if I think someone is from that audience and they don't enjoy it, I think, Oh, hang on. We've got something wrong now. Um, I've, I've not really had that moment, but on the other hand, there are going to be people who are looking for something different then they they don't want, you know, they want a, a a 14 man film crew reducing this incredibly clean home documentary. Mm. Those people are not for our documentary. You know, they want, you know, they might go to uh, go to our Dracula documentary and want Stephen Fry presenting a, a a perfectly (laughs) um, ordered, you know, sort of very, very well structured, very well organized straightforward documentary whereas ours is first and foremost about the travel yes and then about dracula as well it's it's about our it's the intimacy of us and also i mean at the end of the day some people out there just aren't gonna like me you know that, yeah, that is course, just, yeah. that, just, yeah, just yeah, a fact absolutely. you know um and so those people you've got to you've got to learn not to care about the mm. people you don't care about basically it's a great um, point very very valid point i'll tell, I tell you why yeah. if you looked at my spotify podcast the stats it tells you starts so starts are people who listen for 59 seconds or less mm. and i'm telling you that is way higher <laughs> than oh, yeah. people who stream it and you think if you're worried about how many people start and then go nah shit don't worry about yeah. it just let them go that's it and it, it's <laughs> fine it's if it's not for you it's not yeah. for you and that's that's yeah, yeah. always been you know i've always just said though look i i make videos because there are what now seven billion people in the world something like that yeah um of those let's say you know i'm making numbers up now but let's say four billion of them are on the internet you know i'm i'm not aiming for four billion people no, watching each one exactly. of our videos you know yeah but i, I only need like one percent of those to enjoy what we do yeah and that and that's it but it's got to be quality i have to be i have to be proud of what we've made from my own perspective 
I have to be proud. I have to be able to sit there, look at it and go, yeah. And Felicity is the same. We have to sit there together. We have to go, yeah, we're happy with that. We're proud of that. That is something that we would watch. And then we put it out there and those people who are like-minded, those people who enjoy what we do will enjoy it. And those people that don't won't. And it's as simple as that. And as long as we know the quality is there, we can be content knowing that we're going to find an audience. Yeah. And who cares if you've got an audience of 20, if those 20 constantly check in every week or every month, then you've got a a little responsibility to get something out there, right? Because they're relying on you for, you know, it probably makes their week or they're doing something new that they want, they want to hear you speak. So I think people get too caught um, up with, with numbers, I think. Well, that's it. I mean, we ended up doing this um, strange thing during lockdown because, I mean, we couldn't travel and anything else, but we still wanted to do stuff and I couldn't do my shows. I ended up doing what we called the almost live show. Mm. And so for the first, really, I think about nine, 10 months of lockdown, possibly almost a year of the, of the pandemic, I was every fortnight, I was doing a live show from my um, studio workshop. I was doing a live show, which was comedy, magic, juggling, some pre-recorded segments, some live, all with a live audience. And, you know, we weren't doing thousands of people. We were doing, you know, a couple of hundred, you know, 100 people maybe watching, I think, at its peak, it was about 150, but I think it was about, about 100, dropping down to about 50. Mm-hmm. And as we went further and further into it and people got more and more fed up of doing stuff online and just wanted to get back out in the real world, those numbers dropped. But the comments, the people getting involved, mm. the people getting in touch, I was like, for me to give up a couple of hours once a fortnight, yeah, what? why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I just keep these people going? And, it's, and, and for me, it just kept my performance chops going it kept my improv chops going and it let us try out different things with the camera kit as well so mm-hmm. it was all worthwhile doing from that point of view but you're right it, it doesn't matter i mean there is a, a commercial point as well because we are doing this for a living and we, we're building this up as our careers there is a commercial point where yes of course we have to care about the numbers yes of course but yeah. my point of view with that is that that's where it's my job before we begin to make sure that we pick a subject with a story, a, a documentary with a story or a subject that's going to work. Mm-hmm. It's no good picking a subject. You know, it's not, no good saying, oh, I'll tell you what I want to make a documentary about this time. I want to make a documentary about manufacturing needles. Because <laughs> having said that, that sounds quite interesting. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, but you know, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. I've got to say, right, well, hold on. How many people are going to be interested in this particular documentary? And we were talking mm. about sort of the wildlife stuff and that. And I can say, right, well, hold on. I can do a documentary about this charity, but I've got to make sure that it's going to have enough interest that we're going to make and make our money back and a little bit more because that's how you have a job. Yeah. So, but that's, um, that's, that's our job in choosing the subject before we start rather than, anything to do with the quality on the back end true yeah absolutely. because absolutely right, what, yeah. because the difficult bit is you know with the podcast yes you get get those people that watch it and then turn off but the real difficult bit is getting someone to listen in the first place getting someone to find yeah. it getting someone to get their ears on it mm. and that is the i mean that is why half my more than half my job i think is being a marketer yes but tell me about it tell me about it <laughs> that is that is the huge part of it and I won't say worrying. The interesting thing is I, I know nothing about marketing, so I'm just reading, listening, and almost making up as I go along. Yeah, well, that, that's all yeah. you can do, and the rules yeah. keep changing anyway. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, uh, in terms of time, I know it's getting very late for you, so we're going to 
try and wrap up quickly. Just a few sentences about what, what Turkey is about, and then we'll go on to where we can find your documentaries and you know social media, website, etc. Yeah, okay, let's dive through uh, Turkey. Well, Turkey, we we had this idea, basically, it was all centred around the fact that um, Felicity wanted to see the fairy chimneys by Hot Air Balloon. Mm-hmm. And the fairy chimneys, these are these these incredible natural structures. And we start off flying over those by hot air balloon. But I had also heard about these underground cities in Turkey. And one of them was discovered somebody had a wall in their house and they knocked down, knocked through this wall in their basement and they found an entrance to this underground city. And these literally like these cave, I mean, you think of like an, a little cave dwelling somewhere, mm. but these cave dwellings, they go well underground and they're these long caves in the chambers and you can see the rooms and the bedrooms and everything else all carved out of the rock. And so I'd heard about these. So we were like, well, let's let's go and see them. Let's go. And so it became fairy chimneys and underground cities. And so we went over to Turkey and then we found out what else Cappadocia has to offer, which was the area we were in. And I mean, of all the things we did there, the one that will stick out in my because we end up going to um, some Greek ruins, Ephesus, we did uh, Laodicea, which is just incredible. But we also went on this horse ride um, above the fairy chimneys or around the fairy chimneys. And I am not a natural horseman. I'm going <laughs> to. And yeah. in this horse ride, we are on a horseback. And I'm thinking, you know, we, we did we did a little horse ride in Mexico. We, we had a little yeah. beachside, beachside walk, you know, lovely, gentle trot along the beach. This was not a little gentle trot along the beach. This was Felicity, I, and our guide, and we were going up through these fairy chimneys, and we're going up, and we're walking on. We're up and down near vertical slopes, and at some points, we're walking along the edge of these steep drops, and there's barely room for the horse's feet to fit on the <laughs> cliff, and it and it's sort of crumbling away. And we've, we've actually that one's just got onto Amazon, um, Amazon in the UK and in the USA. And the thing that delayed it was they came back to us and said, you, you said this has got a sort of a PG rating. You know, you have to mm. say, what would you rate it? I was like, it's probably fine for everyone. They're like, no, it needs to be a 13 plus. And I've looked it through. And I think the only thing it can possibly be is they don't like the number of times that I have beeped out words. <laughs> on horseback. But also uh, at one point I do say, because um, um, at one point I say, I've suddenly become highly religious. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I'm up and down the cliffs and I'm like, oh geez. Yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> um see, and we actually stop in the middle of that. And it's you know, if you want to see me completely out of my comfort zone, yeah. Um we stop, you you stop in the middle of this adventure and there's a little place we can get a drink. And uh Felicity went up to check out this um church that was there. I couldn't climb the stairs to the church because my legs were just literally shaking like crazy. <laughs> And I'm sitting there thinking, I've got to get back on the horse. I've got to get back on the horse. And there's <laughs> this, um, actually, there was another group up there, and there's an Italian girl who's sitting there going, I'm not going to get back on the horse. She was um, from Venice, I think. She said, I yeah. can't get back on the horse. And uh, I was talking to her because I could understand what she was saying. Um, she said, I can't get back on it. And I was like, you don't, you don't really have a choice. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. we are here, it, the sun is setting. You can't walk back from here. They can't get a car out here. They've really oh, got to God. get back on that horse. Um, and everyone's going, oh, it gets better after this. It gets better. After. And, and it did. But And my uh, my horse was uh, the most stubborn thing in the world. It, it, it wasn't happy about being um, 
I, I, I think it just looked at me and was like, oh, come on. Why can't I have the skinny one? Why can't yeah, I have the skinny yeah. one? Why have I, got, why have I got to carry him? And it kept stopping and it wasn't, oh, it was, it was just in hindsight, hilarious. Yeah. In the Amazon. moment, absolutely terrifying. Yeah, I need to watch that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for a laugh. Uh, okay, the, the only like reference I can have that's equivalent to that is when we're in the pool and we're on the bus and it's driving along those really short, not 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 very wide roads at all along mm. the edge, and you, you sort of look over, going, "If he goes a little bit to yeah. the left, we're gone." And yeah, we had like an hour or hour and a half on that, just like just really shitting ourselves and not looking over the edge. I mean. Everyone in the bus was like it, like, oh, my God, let's just not look that way. <laughs> but there was uh, one, one moment, and we're, we're near the end, we're right near the end, and I finally finally bonded with this horse. It's this beautiful moment. I mean, obviously, I, I'm a huge fan of music and editing, and it's a wonderful moment where the voiceover cuts in, and I say, you know, you know, among, among, in this magical sight or whatever, an incredible thing has happened, and um, me and Caramel had finally found a friendship. And, um, you know, it's this lovely. And then we start to walk towards this tiny little thin bridge that's barely wide enough at all. And just before we get to it, and you can just notice it on the camera, just before we get to it, this horse turns its head as if to say, and I'm saying, just keep going straight, keep going straight, keep going. And it turns its head and it's just, it just feels so much like the horse is just sat there going, you know, I could jump now if I wanted to. <laughs> That is tempted. That's awesome. So we'll have to check that out. And I'm now going to come to the details of your documentary, so where we can find them and stuff. So I've got the website here is www.gregandfelicityadventures.com. I've got forward slash travels as well, if you want a bit of a shortcut to your travel adventures. And on here, I guess, is all the links to your... Yeah, so uh, that's the easiest place. Yeah, if you just go to um, gregandfelicityadventures.com and then there's obviously the travel segment on there. And all the documentaries on there, and that's where you can find all the different places you can watch it. And like I say, some of them, the latest one is only available in on Amazon in the UK and the USA. Mm. Uh, there's three of them available in Amazon, UK, USA. If you in the USA or the UK and you want to watch it without adverts and you want to do us the most good, rent it, buy it on Amazon, watch it there. If not, uh, Romania and Romania and Turkey are both on Plex, which the links are there. That's free to watch. Also, Tubi, they're both on Tubi if you're in the US, and I think Canada, various other places can get Tubi TV. Mm-hmm. And then the first couple, Mexico and the Isle of Man, they're both on YouTube. So they're the easiest ones to find because everyone knows where YouTube is. Yeah. But yeah, just go to that um, website and we just make sure we've got links to everything on there. So you'll be able to find find somewhere to watch everything. Uh, and eventually you'll be able to watch citations around the world as well. Brilliant. And where can we find you on social media? Social media, it's mainly the Instagram, which is at Greg and Felicity. Nice and simple there. Yeah. Uh, don't get confused. Don't go to at Greg and Felicity Adventures because they messed us about and we had to restart at one uh, yes, quite recently. Yeah. Yeah. But um, at Greg and Felicity, we post fairly regularly mm-hmm. and we enjoy it. So, yeah, give us a follow there. That's uh, always great as well. And any other platforms or just Instagram for now? That's the only one we're really working on at the moment. Yeah. It's got, um, I think it's got the biggest, well, it depends on your audience, right? But it's got the, probably the biggest reach. Maybe Twitter might, might, might trump it, but it's, for me, it seems it's my platform of choice. Um, oh, I think so at the moment yeah. for what we're doing for a visual art form. It really yes, is. It really is the best one. Right. And my next question was 
anything in the pipeline can you say or can you give us a little teaser of what you, you're thinking <sighs> what's coming up well we've got as i say we've got uh, about 14 countries mapped out in uh, in notes and everything else yeah. we've got a couple of places that we're chatting to at the moment uh we're going to be doing some more wildlife stuff there will be more stuff out this year mm-hmm. but because of the difficulties of figuring out the filming and everything else i don't know where yet we're in an exciting okay. time where we, where we can travel again now so yeah. we're beginning to sort it all out but it's just figuring out which ones we can get permits and agreements and everything else for so at the moment all I can say is there will be more coming from us this year, but we can't tell you where. Oh, exciting. <laughs> the suspense. I will make sure I'll keep an eye on your Instagram to make sure if you do some announcements, I can see where you're going. Oh, we absolutely will. Yeah. Okay. And I just want to say all the links that we've mentioned. So that's website, social media, charities, also where you can buy the documentaries and stuff like that will be shared in the show notes. And also I'll put them on Instagram when I release this podcast episode and we're going to finish with some quick fire travel questions hey yeah just a quick one before we carry on with the travel questions i just want to say there are many ways to support this podcast you can buy me a coffee and help support the podcast with five dollars or you can go to my merch store with the affiliate link with t public where there's plenty of merch available to buy such as t-shirts jumpers hoodies and also some children's clothing thirdly which is free You can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser or Good Pods. Also, you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook and TikTok. Simply just search for Winging It Travel Podcast and you'll find me displaying all my social media content for traveling, podcast and other stuff. Thank you. It's travel question time. Okay. I will say quick fire travel questions. It is now at five past three in the morning yeah. here in the UK. So this is Greg's sleep deprived brain doing quick fire <laughs> questions. Let's go for it. Okay. And these can be either what you discussed today or even personal travel, which we've not even talked about. So it's entirely up to you what answers you give. And uh, I sort of do roughly some random questions each week. So top three favorite countries that you visited. Let's start with that. Oh, gosh, that's really difficult. Um, Italy is always going to be there. I spent seven years touring in Italy. It was Mm -hmm. like a second home to me. Mexico, obviously, just the range of experiences we had there and the fact it was our honeymoon. I mean, I'm desperate to get back there to go and see the whales there again. And then it's really got to be Romania just for what it meant for us and what it's meant for that documentary taking off and just the welcome we got there, just how Mm. wonderful everyone was when we were in Romania as well. Okay. Next question will be a bit cheeky. This could be either relating to personal or your documentary stuff. What three countries are like ones that you really want to go to, like in your sort of like, I won't say bucket list, but like really up there in no order? Um, Well, um, we... Everywhere really is the basic answer, but really yeah. places where there's a lot of wildlife, a lot of history. I mean, I'd like to do Egypt at some point yeah. um, to see the history there, but we're waiting for that because I'd like to get off the beaten track 
um, and try and get to a point where we can go and see some of the places that aren't explored. And But we've got to be able to do it in a way that's safe as well to get right off the beaten track as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Australia um, and New Zealand. Felicity's been to both those. I haven't been to either one oh, of wow. those. You're going to love them. And the wildlife and the wildlife around the coast in particular yeah. and some of the islands off the coast, just absolutely wonderful. So can't wait to get there. And really want to get back to Canada as well, actually, because I've, okay. I've been to Canada for uh, about a week. Felicity hasn't been at all. And again, yeah. it's the, the range, but also we're both fascinated by dinosaurs, which we haven't even touched on here. Oh, um, well, okay, yeah. Just the amount of dinosaur-related goodness in Canada. Um, you've got the Albertosaurus, obviously, and a, an awful lot of dinosaur ground there. Mm-hmm. And we want to go and see the polar bears as well. So, yeah, those, those three are the first three that spring to mind. Okay. But ask me two minutes time and I'd give you three <laughs> different answers. That's, that's a beauty, right? So I'll get you right now. So uh, another question. Do you drink coffee? Yes, I do. Yes. But I'm I'm very, I drink coffee a lot when I'm away. I drink, I used to drink it an awful lot when I was in Italy. But because of being in Italy, I am a bit of a coffee snob. I will be honest. Okay. Um, I, I do like a, a decent cup of coffee, but I will look down my nose at a lot of English cups of coffee. I am quite yeah. bad <laughs> I'm with you on that one. So two-pronged question here. If you could pick one city in the world where you can just sit and drink coffee and watch the world go by, what would that be? And second question would be, what country's coffee is the best? Oh, well, um, Italian's coffee is the best. Absolutely. No no question, Italy's (laughs) coffee is the best. Um, And I mean, just purely because I've spent so long doing it, if I could spend it, go to any city in the world and sit and drink coffee, it would be Turin. I'd sit at the top of... um, top of piazza vittorio veneto which is the the steps well this is piazza vittorio veneto it's the largest piazza without monument in the world okay um uh, maybe in europe i forget i know they've got a lot of weather records you know sort of largest piazza without monument and yeah yeah but it's the one um you sit at the top of it and you look down it's this huge empty piazza but then at the end of it, there's a bridge. And at the end of that bridge, there's steps leading up to the church. Oh, yeah. And it's um, that's st- those steps leading up to the church. If you uh, have seen the Italian job, yeah. the original Michael Caine version, that's where the minis come driving down the steps. It's also mm-hmm. that river just there is where they drive across the river. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I've spent a lot of time sat there watching the world go by over the years. So that's sure, and that's kind of peaceful. That's my first city I travelled to. In Europe, where like I went for culture, if you like, just because mm-hmm. the Italian job, I want to go up those steps. Yep, yep. <laughs> a random fact for you. Uh, okay, your favorite landmark that you've seen? This could be nature or man-made. It's entirely up to you. Right, my favorite landmark. Oh, that's a really, that's a really out there question. I'm trying to think. Could be too late for that one. <laughs> I was going to say. I, I think. I think my brain's this seas. It could have just completely. Got, I mean. My immediate picture when you talk about man-made is um, Corving Castle that we saw in Romania, which yeah. is just absolutely stunning. It's a real fairy tale castle. We were just so lucky to to be able to get the drones up and fly the drones mm. around that. That was just just absolutely amazing to see that one. Um, in terms of natural sort of wonders, it's just so many. I mean, yeah. my trouble is as soon as I think natural wonder, I just think open ocean. I just think okay. sitting there, just looking out at the ocean, yeah. and there is just nothing to beat that in the world. There's nothing. You're right. Yeah. And um, I think so. Probably sat on the uh, sat on the veranda of our little year in Magdalena Bay, where we were there for the whales, and just sitting out, looking across the oceans, watching the dolphins play in the ocean. There, I just 
God. so hard to beat. Dreamy. Dreamy. Unreal. Okay. And what is your favourite country's cuisine or food? You see, I'm, I'm terrible with country's cuisines or food, I'll be honest, because I'm, um, I'm, I'm vegetarian ethically and then I'm also lactose intolerant. So I'm basically oh, vegan. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which means an awful lot of countries around the world, they get, they're getting better, but the actual country's cuisine tends not to really cater for that. But, yeah. I mean, part of me wants to say, and this is where I'm going to get myself in trouble, because my immediate thought was Italy's pizzas. I've got this beautiful pizzeria in Turin, um, yeah. Nuova Saletta. I'll, I'll give him a little shout out. Um, <laughs> wonderful guy called Felice there. And because I was working as an actor while I was at a, a comedy performer, but an actor, and, you know, it, it was like my home way through because I'd walk in the front door and he would turn around and go, ladies and gentlemen, it's Greg, the great actor, <laughs> is here. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to question that. Uh, however, what I will say is Italian gelato just unbeatable oh, yeah, yeah there is nothing like it in the world and you know you see gelaterias you know in in england and in other countries oh we, we do italian gelato no you don't no you don't <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely you're, you're right about that okay uh, a few more questions and i'll let you go if you can pick a country to live in that you've not lived in before so i guess that rules out italy and uk one country to live in where'd you go mexico brilliant yeah um probably sort of uh la paz baja california that baja sort of california. area just the nice. The ocean. I mean, we just the time we spent in La Paz, we got to swim with whale sharks there. It's just magical. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think Mexico without a doubt. Okay. Uh, I think I might know the answer to this question, but which country is the best value for money that you've seen? It depends what you're going to do. Actually, I would say uh, certainly Romania is incredible yeah. that we've been to. The incredible value for money. Also Mexico. Now Mexico, immediately coming from the UK, I don't think of it as being the same value for money because. Obviously, we have to factor in flights when we go there. Mm. But with Mexico, a lot of the actual visiting the ruins, and I say the price of filming permits and stuff like that, that was so inexpensive. It was just absolutely wonderful. So Mexico, again, is a wonderful place. As long as you stay out of those places, basically stay out of the tourist hubs. Yeah. You know, you, you start going towards um, Cancun, the prices oh, start yeah. to go up and up and up. And also sort of the sea life experiences. I mean, it was a running joke um, with Felicity where, when we were actually booking it. And I was going, OK, so we, we go to El Tajin. That's going to cost us, what, four pounds each or something. Mm. Uh, how much is it going to be for a night on this island with the whales? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, it's the same as anything else. The more extreme you go, the the more expensive it's going to become. But yeah, Mexico was great value as well. Okay. Um, I've got a few nerdy technical questions for the, for the last big question. Uh, how long, well, you might have already said this before, but how long does it take you to edit and get something out documentary-wise? Well, uh, like I say, the first one, it took us several months. I try and do it. I, I would like to always do it within a month, within a few weeks, but it really is just a case of how long it takes. I mean, the first thing is how much we filmed, you know, if we filmed yeah. 14 hours of footage on day one, just going through that footage just takes, takes the time out of it, but it, it probably takes about a month to go through and edit each one realistically. Okay. And it's, you know, it's getting that first cut is always the, the longest part of the process just getting that first cut where it actually tells the story and mm. then it's a case of going through and refining it and color grading it doing the sound everything else but yeah we'll say moving forward we're hoping to do each one get the edit done in a month so 
Okay. Um, we've already got your drone, um, mate, because I think you mentioned it earlier. What about your video camera? What do you use? Well, actually, we only use a, a, a Panasonic um, sort of consumer video camera at the moment. It's one we're going to upgrade. Well, we've got, um, yeah, it's a HC VX980, apparently, <laughs> um, which is perfectly good. But, it, I mean, it's fantastic, actually, as a, as a camera. Mm -hmm. We have that. That is mounted with a, a Rode VideoMic Pro on the top. Um, that captures sort of ambient sound and things like that. Yeah. We then use a DJI... Osmo Pocket, um, which uh, is sort of a little thing with a gimbal head. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic for moving shots, stuff like that. Yeah. We also use, we've got one GoPro, one branded GoPro, and a couple of cross tours, which if you're planning to get a GoPro and you haven't got the money, those cost, uh, cross tours cost us, I think, 30 quid each. Yeah. And they are perfectly good for 90% of the stuff we use a GoPro for. Um, oh, wow. okay. An awful lot of the car footage we have is filmed on those. Yeah, it, especially in the Isle of Man, we filmed a lot of the car footage on those, and it worked just as well as the GoPros. Um, and then we have uh, we've just invested. We've got a couple of Rode uh, wireless lav mics as well. Um, I think that's about it. Yeah, we do. We have a, a Zoom a Zoom HN4 Pocket Studio recorder, which is what we use to record an awful lot of the sound. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's, that's, that's our basic kit. I mean, we, we're yeah. always expanding and swapping stuff in and out, but that's our basic kit. Okay. And my final question would be if someone is thinking about either making a documentary or going traveling or com combining both of those, why should they go and do it? I mean, the, the answer's in the question. If you're thinking of doing it, then, you know, just why, why wouldn't you? My, my thing has always been life is short, you know, life yeah. is short. And it's, if the last year has taught us anything, it's that life is unpredictable. Yes. And if you don't go when you've got the chance now, having said that, you know, some people have, you know, you've got, you've got a dream place you want to go, something like that. You've got a dream you want to achieve, then yeah, take some time. So save up it, get ready, prepare for it. But you can always be planning, you can always be working. And if someone's thought of thinking about getting into documentaries especially research 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 you can never do enough research in the early stages because i think one of the biggest issues i find sort of hanging out in the filmmaking groups and things like that is people who they want to be a filmmaker and so they think the first thing to do is to make a film mm. and actually if you want a film to be successful the first thing to do is figure out whether or not anyone actually wants that film yeah. and then make that film. So to documentary making it is slightly different from just traveling. But if you want to travel, just if you want to travel, travel. Yeah. And if you've got a dream destination and that's the only place in the world you want to go, take your time and save up. But if you just want to travel, if you just want to see the world, do it. And uh, when you do it, just before you go, it doesn't take five minutes, learn, hello, goodbye, please, and thank you in the language. And you'll be amazed at how far just those four words will get you in an awful lot of places. And the, the other word that everyone always forgets, like this. Okay, if you can learn how to say like this or like that in a language, that will get you so far because if you want to buy a ticket, you can point something and say like this. 
like this, mm. like this, like this. That's it. I actually, when I first went to Italy, I had a haircut. And I know um, people who can't see me on a video, you, if you could see me on a video, you'd be thinking that guy's never had a haircut in his life. <laughs> um, but when I first went to Italy, I actually had quite short hair. And I did have an entire haircut. And the guy who was cutting my hair spoke no English. And the entire haircut was done with just the word cosy, which just means like this, like that. Ah, okay. So it's a fantastic word to learn. But yeah, just a few basic words and just life is short. So if you've, whether it's documentary making, whether it's traveling or whether it's anything else, if you can do it, do it. It's as simple as that. Just, Just get on with what makes you happy. Okay, Greg, thanks for taking your time out. It's a very late hour for you to come on the podcast. I know I need to let you go because it's ridiculous time there, 20 past three in the morning. So thanks for coming on. I really appreciate your time and all your stories, information and content. It's been, it's been a great chat. No, thank you very much for having me. No worries. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to my Winging It Travel podcast episode today. You can find me on Instagram at James Hammond Travel or Winging It Travel podcast. You can search for both. I release weekly clips of this podcast episode, as well as photos from the last eight to ten years of my travels. You can also follow me on TikTok, Facebook and Pinterest by searching Winging It Travel Podcast. I do release daily content to do with travel and the podcast throughout the week. Also check out my website, jameshammond.org. There's content about myself, my travels, and there's also a newsletter sign up as well as a contact form. Finally, please rate and review the podcast on Podchaser. This is my platform of choice. Alternatively, you can rate this on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts from. This really helps the podcast gain a bit of traction for the future in terms of guests and content. And I'm glad to see that you guys are listening out there, reviewing it and enjoying the content so far. Stay safe, stay humble, keep listening, keep traveling, and I'll catch you soon. Cheers, James.